Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Two apes in the cage getting more amazing with age. Hello, everyone. It is the 7th of February, 2022, and it is time for Morning Combat. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo. I join you from the capital of Los Estados Unidos here in Washington, D.C. with the crown prince of Connecticut. He is the... I can't even do your 78 letters somehow describing your balls one way or another, but it's my friend and yours, Brian Campbell. What's up, Brian? Thank you, Luke. Thank you. I am the the, the BBC with that BDE or something like that, Luke. Uh, hey, did you hear what Joe Rogan said about Armenians, Luke? No, what did he say? Probably, probably something awful. Probably something just awful. What's All right, favorite, uh, Luke. his favorite movie, movie, Planet of the Armenians? Yeah, there you go. There you go. There it is. Uh, Monday morning, back at it. Come on, right? Come on. This is what we do, right, Luke? Fired up. I'm... Uh, chilling like Bob Dylan, and I'm killing like penicillin. So let's do this, Luke, okay? Uh, we got a big show today. We have, we're reacting to, let's see, the UFC event that was over the weekend. Thurman Barrios was over the weekend. We're actually going to look ahead to Izzy versus Whitaker 2, which is going to be on Saturday. Very excited for that, by the way. Plus a whole lot more. So if you're watching on YouTube, thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe. If you're listening on the podcast platform, please leave us a nice review on whatever platform that may end up being. And, of course, if you're watching on the uh, live stream, you can see our socials on the screen below showtime is the label that pays us give them a try go to showtime.com get a 30-day free trial if you like it you can keep it if not you can pound sand but remember you don't just get live showtime programming you get the entire library that is available all therein email the show for wednesday's uh fan subs and then friday's dead wrong or you just want to reach out to the show morning combat at gmail.com and bc i don't think we have any special brand new merch today in the merch store but I think it's just another great day in heaven. It's just another great day. Morning combat dot store is that fantastic website. You want our new logo on t-shirts on sweatpants. You see the look, you see those new white, like workout pants with the, with the sun and fist logo on the back of the calf. Just, just badass. You can check that out. So they sent morning. me, I got back from vacation and because I, <laughs> uh, you know, I've lost a bunch of weight. It's funny to look at the old sizes that they matched me up for. I'm not sure if this is a flag that you would put at the Capitol or a bedsheet for a California king, but but it's the shirt that they sent me. It's like a rash guard, I think. If you look yeah, closely, we, that was actually it's like a workout shirt, right? But it's, yeah, it's um, almost like a it's like a rash guard if you're a contestant on The Biggest Loser or a host on Morning Combat, circa Luke, nine fair. months ago. If if our merch master R.J. Dunkelmaker and Sons, um. You know, he's got like little tabs on our on our merch site. There's like the Factory Town MMA line, the the Dead Luke line. What about the January sixth collection? And we put we put that shirt you just held up there, and we just you know we just go after it. That that shit's gonna sell, right? Uh, we and we could do NFTs where we could put music. Can you put music in an NFT? I don't even know how it works, but I, I would imagine there's got to be some way to do it because we could. Put this, you know that remember that song? Oh, they call him the Streak. Whoop, woodoo, just running and shit. It could be great. I don't know. I'm just going places that don't need to be gone. But uh, all right, there's that. I don't know where the fuck that's going. Oh, we do have to remind everyone, BC, we're not athletes. And for that reason, we have to. It's all about team health here in the last year or so. We've all kind of tightened up here a little bit and try to get things going. 
Our next partner, BC, has a product that, this is true, actually, we do use every day. Certainly I do. I started taking Athletic Greens because, BC, I wanted better gut health, better energy, and uh, I'm not taking any more pills. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Look, AG1's legit, and I know, like, you can have those misgivings of, is it going to taste, like, super healthy, and, and, it, and it tastes great. And it's kind of like the mild, tropical feel going on. And, you know, every morning, Luke, I mix that in the water, the first thing I do when I wake up, and... I need it to keep this liver from falling out of me like a like a broken muffler just dragging across the road. And I think you could use it, too, to be fair. It's like, you know, when people say they're going to ship their guts out, BC actually means it. Uh, one scoop of Athletic Greens, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced, superfoods, probiotics, adapt- adaptogens to help you start your day, BC. Tons of good stuff. It supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus. How about aging? It, it pretty much does it all. It's almost like cheating in a good way, Luke, right? If you ain't if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Uh, I don't get my greens the traditional way enough, Luke, but this makes it easy. Yeah, I do my best to get healthy eating. Of course, there's no substitute for it, but this is a great way to, to make sure you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's. Very, very convenient. You can take it on little packets for if you're traveling. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. Excuse me. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. And how about this? It costs less than three bucks a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your, you know, ritzy cold brew habit that you're probably getting for $7.95 around the corner from Luke's house in D.C. and, you know, completely overpaying for a $100 haircut afterwards. Taking Athletic Greens is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to just take great care of yourself. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. And how about BC and Luke on top of that? Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. By the way, that's literally true. It's just a scoop. You pour water, you drink, you're done. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you, MK listener, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash morning combat to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. All right, BC, are you ready to get this going? Let's jam. Let's jam. Topic number one, we start with the UFC's main event at middleweight. By the way, it wasn't necessarily making everyone happy on the interwebs. My timeline on Twitter last night, or I should say on Saturday night, was a giant bevy of complaints about how boring it was. I actually didn't mind it because I hadn't seen fights in a few weeks, and so I had a little bit of a, of a, of a need for speed, and you know, it wasn't the most exciting fight, but I didn't hate it per se. But okay, part of the reason why they hated it, BC, was because, yes, Sean Strickland won. In my mind, we'll talk about the scoring in just a second. It was kind of crazy, but he, he was the clear runaway winner of this. But he didn't exactly blow people's socks off. What did he accomplish with this win? I think he's a, he accomplished a lot more with this win than people realize leaning on the, hey, this didn't entertain me at the level that I expected coming in. It's not that that doesn't happen. But what Sean Strickland did is, is I think he upped his game and he raised it. He stuck to his elite game plan, which is pretty damn technical and 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 like gets better each fight. And okay, would you have liked him? And you know, the announce crew was was pointed that out. Step on the gas a little bit more. 
for sure. You want the full, complete statement to be made. But these are the type of fights Sean Strickland's going to have to win to be taken seriously as a title contender. Because, you know, he's not going to mow through Adesanya Whitaker and that, like, that, you know, with the same level of dominance that he's had about against the opponents before. And to be able to hold that dominance for this long... Uh, after making that early adjustment, because let's give Hermanson credit, he was in this fight early, and obviously he was tough as nails and never stopped trying to win. But really, rounds three through five were an absolute showcase of what Sean Strickland can do when he's on. And I like from him being taken down, Luke, to him having to make that early adjustment I mentioned. I like the things he was in. I like his reaction to those. And look, he's almost a better boxer than he should be, Luke. I mean, it is just consistent, effective, and while he puts pressure on because he stands so close and he's always moving forward, there's an efficiency with his output that is really the secret sauce and what makes him so good. Luke, I feel like he can step on the gas and go for the KO, you know, in the right matchup when, when it's time. But him showing again, second fight in a row, that he can go five rounds and be this strategic and figure out how to lead with his strength, which he did from about round three on. I came away hella impressed. I texted you right right in the end of that fourth round. It's like, you know what? He looks today. He looks amazing tonight because what this fight was about was announcing yourself as a title contender. And even though he chose to do it this way, and even though the last 30 seconds look were weird, I have no idea what was going on there. This was a dominant performance once he figured it out. So uh, what he did was make a statement that he's ready for the, for the best in this division. Top five. Let's do it. People were making an argument, and I understand why they make it. It's tempting to be like, okay, did I see in this contest in terms of the winner, did I see someone that made me believe with this particular performance that they could defeat whoever the eventual winner on Saturday would be, either Robert Whitaker or Israel Adesanya, right? Did I see them beating the champion? Well, no, I don't think you got with this performance the kind of information that would tell you that that is imminent. However, A, based on this performance, that doesn't necessarily tell you that they couldn't. You, granted, this wasn't the one that told you that they could, but just because this one didn't doesn't mean that it's impossible that they ever could, number one. just want to point that out. But two, here's the more important one. Maybe I also didn't see someone that night that I thought had, could beat Adesanya or Whitaker, but I definitely saw somebody that could beat, I think, or at least give a very tough fight to Marvin Vittori. Marvin Vittori's had two cracks, albeit one not as champion, but he's had two cracks against Israel Adesanya. He took it as Adesanya five rounds. Marvin Vittori, granted, also 27 years old, a little bit younger than what we're talking about here. I'm just sort of pointing out, dude, he he showed you actually a lot. Not enough to make you think he's the very best guy in that weight class in the world. All right. But he definitely showed you in beating Hermanson, he's of that level. And then the specific skills employed, BC, eight fights now, he's not been taken down in the last fight against Hermanson. He went 0 for 8 on takedown attempts. He has lights out takedown defense at least as it relates to sort of middle-top contenders that he has been up against. You saw his striking defense, too. I thought his striking defense was excellent. He was catching, blocking, and thing, parrying Luke. everything. For, for somebody who can be as active as he can be when he's rolling downhill, when he's completely got you in his spider web and he's just chipping away, the, you nailed it. It's not just the punch efficiency I said earlier. It's the responsibility of the defense. He doesn't get marked up a ton. He's like... You know, and you saw the face of Hermanson afterwards. You go five rounds with him, he's going to he's gonna disfigure you. He's going to put that on you. So he's not a real one-punch guy, but it's consistent, it's heavy, and he's in your face, which raises that anxiety level. He's figuring it out. And look, we have to do, be careful sometimes of being too critical when someone's climbing a specific ladder, and he's on this final stretch, 
you know, to prove that he belongs in these big time conversations of title fights or ex champions or whatever. And think of Jan Blahovitz's recent rise. I gave him a lot of criticism when he went the distance against uh, uh, Jacare Souza and mm-hmm. really, you know, main event. This was his time to show that he's the next big thing. And I'm like, you know, he failed. He failed to show that. He was boring. He was a, but in, in, in reality, Luke, that was one of those puzzle pieces that needed to be there to form the ultimate, you know, final version of him when he stepped in there to fight for the title. And to his credit, he raised uh, raised his ceiling in, in, in you know, a, a big upset and a great story. I think for Strickland, it's a, there's a little different public, you know, piece of from the of the puzzle than that fight in particular of Blahovich, but it's going to be an important one Luke it is and and he's got that that we know he's got the nastiness when he wants to turn it on but he's starting to show that poise that you need if you're going to face a not just the two guys fighting for the title this weekend but a cannoneer of a Tory to your point Apollo Cruz I mean you're going to Apollo Cruz Paulo Costa you're going to need that that next level so um altogether Luke great but what the hell is going on in the final 30 seconds when he 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 wanted Holloway Lamas type vibes, and then he was getting out of it, Luke. Yeah, I mean he's a weirdo. We talked about this on Friday. I don't quite understand everything that he says or why he says it or how much of it is an act or if it's real or some combo of all of it. I mean, and I and I, you know he was out there calling him a like a pussy in the last thirty seconds, and then you're right, he wasn't exactly standing in the pot. I mean, he you know. I don't know whether or not from a competitive mindset, if he's got everything dialed in there the way he needs to, not that he doesn't really want to win. I, I believe that, but like some of the other things going on, I wonder how much that could ultimately derail any progress. I just want to point out last thing on how good his performance was. I will not ask the audience to assume that they should find it entertaining. I will not do that. But what I would say is what you're really looking for in situations like these, if you're if someone who paid tickets or of course you wanted to watch, yes, entertainment. But you're looking for, did they show you elite forms of quality? Not did they show you their best performance, not was it lights out beginning to end. Did they show you elite quality? Yes, he did. He absolutely showed you elite level quality. So what what is next for him, whether it's Vittori or Cannoneer or somebody else, as you indicated, we're going to have to see. We'll have to see what happens with Saturday with the next set of results. But Sean Strickland is not just deserving of the top five because he beat Jack Hermanson. The things he did in beating Jack Hermanson shows you he is very ready to swim in these top five waters, and he's absolutely earned it. Let me ask you this, though. Let's flip the, the conversation just a little bit about Hermanson. We talked about what he was up against on Friday, right? He had been to the top five, had a couple of tests, and got bounced out, was looking to get back in. Here comes Sean Strickland. Now, he's another person in this sort of top five space, so I can't beat him up too much for losing to a guy this good. At the same time, BC, at 33, with the amount of weapons that he has, when he has the fight on his terms, ground and pound, takedown, submission kind of thing, He's a nightmare, but it's not enough on the feet for him currently to get it done against the likes of the Sean Strickland's of the world. Has he peaked? What has happened to him? He's 33 years old. I think old. he's peaked, Luke. And, and you know, where he peaked, if that's true, it's pretty damn good because the step right below this, he he finds a way. He's able to win dominantly in, in some cases. I mean, what he did to Kelvin Gastelum instantly, it seemed like. So he he's a tough ass out. You know, he 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 is Luke what? That perfect gatekeeper that tells you whether someone's ready to go to the final final deep part of the pool and contend for a title or not. Um, you know, it doesn't mean he can't get another big win. Doesn't mean he's on the way out. But I think we've seen him level out now a couple times. That's not that's not incorrect to say. No, I don't think it's necessarily incorrect to say. And I would be very. I've, I, there's been times where I've been like, oh, so and so has peaked, and then 
it turned out they had a couple of gears of small but important reinvention that that extended either their longevity or gave them access to heights they had previously had that I didn't think that they could get to. So to be clear, could Hermanson go a little bit further? We should we should honor uh, his, you know, competitive uh, abilities and focus to see you know let let's let he let's let him decide that. But to your point. The general climate of things indicates that he's going to have a hard time getting a lot better than he is. The Look, last, you know, the... we're going to be accused of hating on uh, European-based MMA fighters, particularly Probably. Eastern European ones. If they only knew, you know, who my favorite fighters actually were and which Instagram accounts I follow, I love Eastern European fighters. Yes, provided <laughs> <laughs> provided there's only three divisions for them in the UFC: one fifteen, one twenty-five, and one thirty-five. <laughs> Uh, all right, last on this. Did you understand the judging for Hermanson? They they had this one a split, which I found to be baffling, beyond baffling. How is it possible you can find three rounds for Jack Hermanson? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, uh, Brent Brookhouse of CBS Sports had had you know put it in Slack in the middle of that fight. Like once it became apparent that Strickland wasn't gonna you know push down on the gas completely and sort of risk it to go for the knockout. He was like, you know, watch, watch. He's probably going to get backdoor screwed here. Sometimes that can happen, Luke, when you make that decision. I'm glad, obviously, in the end, we didn't have too many shenanigans, but I, I don't see how you can justify, obviously, a, a scorecard in the direction three rounds to two for Hermanson. Can you give him both of the first? See, I say that, Luke, but can you give him round five for, for pushing the pace more than Strickland was? Yes, correct? Uh, you don't award rounds based on pace pushing. So based on that, no, I could not do that. So I gave him one of the first two rounds. I could see somebody giving him both of the first two rounds. To some people, that fifth round may be a a backdoor swing round. But Luke, in totality, no, it's not the guy that deserved winning it, even with the the scoring system. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand it. I think you could have given him the first because I just thought he had more offense that was meaningful. And then maybe if you're feeling generous on the fifth, you could do that. In between there, I don't I don't see a round for him, and I don't think it's especially close. Granted, we always talk about this. Judges, whether they're aware of them or not, are going to have their own set of biases. Judges, based on their sitting position, could actually have a much better view than what you have at home, or even in certain cases, a much worse one. It's hard to tell. So there's just a lot of ways that sitting ringside or cage side can affect the judgment, and I understand it. But I just wanted to be clear. I know there's some folks being like, yeah, it's not that crazy. Okay, it's not the craziest thing I've ever seen, far from it, but it's definitely an example to me of a judge not really getting the best look at what they should be getting a good look at. Um, But the right guy won, so how how upset could you possibly be? Not that much. Um, Okay. Let's go to point number two here, if we can. I know one of the Diaz boys was, or friends of the Diaz boys, was in the co-main, but it was fairly uninteresting. The other big star on this card, or at least the one who could be a big star, is the first Kazakh fighter who has been signed to the UFC. Shavkat Rachmanov just made simple short work of Carlson Harris, who doesn't have the biggest name, but is lanky, powerful, good wrestler in the clinch, and was undefeated in the UFC heading into this contest. BC... How validating was this win of some of the hype that's building around Rachmanov? Yeah, uh, how about fully validating? And I know if you're if you're gonna be, you know, the extreme devil's advocate critic, you know, you could say, well, we haven't necessarily seen him have to overcome this. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot because it's three fights and he's dominated all three uh, and and finished them. 
But you, there, there's some things, Luke, that the eye test just fills in the blanks on. And yes, I need to see this guy go five rounds stamina. Yes, I need to see a fight in which he's on his back for half of it. But from what we've seen and this level of matchmaking, when you got that early itch, that early feeling, it's looking validated up to this point, Luke, because forget a, a, a poise, you know, he's got this poise that's like part championship poise, part just killer, but just a complete offensive game, variety, and it's hard and accurate as shit, Luke. I mean, it's just heavy as shit. He, he He's almost like you could central casting you could pull him out of some war from 300 years ago. He is he looks like a, a well-oiled machine of a soldier who's ready right now for, for a lot of smoke, Luke. And if they keep him at this level, he's going to keep doing this over and over again. Yeah, the, the, this level has nothing for him other than, you know, bonuses that he could rack up by finishing them, which is all he has. 15 wins, 15 stoppages. They can't take this. The judges are bored when Shavkat Rachmanov comes around, or at least, you know, in, they don't work very long because they're not really required. This dude is insanely impressive. People are asking us, how would you compare Rachmanov to somebody like Chemayev? And there are real meaningful dif- differences. In part, BC, that question is very hard to answer because however much we know about Rachmanov is not that much, at least at the elite level, and however much we know about Chemayev at the elite level is not that much. All of their wins appear to be really nice, but they don't tell us a whole lot about what the next chapter may or may not look like with any kind of real certainty. But what you can say about Rachmanov, and this is why we're high on him, you were right about a a, a clear thing there, which I want to underscore. Namely, he's got a full skill set. That doesn't mean he's a perfect fighter, but it means at all the various ranges in the phases and, and, and dimensions of the game, does he have command of that dimension? From what we can tell, it appears yes. We've not seen him against somebody like BC, like a dedicated, just aggressive all-wrestler type. That will tell us a little bit more. But certainly to the extent that people have tried to wrestle him, it has looked quite poor. Carlston Harris was actually pretty good in the clinch. And Shavkat Rachmanov either shut that down completely or actually had the better success there. And, of course, on the feet and everything else. He can fight, he can fight in boxing range, kickboxing range. His timing is good. He makes just phenomenal decisions. And when you... The reason why a 27-year-old guy can make really good decisions is because he is so in command of what is happening. He can stay calm. He understands what he's up against. He's a veteran in certain ways in terms of the overall body of experience he has in combat sports training and competition. And you just see what is happening here. Dude, 27-year-olds don't look this good this early in their career where they have this level. Not so much the wins, per se, because he hasn't got the elite wins. But in terms of the skills and what he has shown in all of these various challenges, you don't show me another rising prospect that is as well-rounded. We'll have to see about Shemaev. We don't know. But if you take him out of the equation, I don't know who else it would be. Sean Brady has better wins. I think that Michael Chiesa win is just a better win than anything Rachmanov has. And he's obviously going to be a handful on the mat as well, a complete hammer in his own right. But in terms of the overall skills... Rachmanov has the best overall skills of rising prospects, yeah. maybe of anyone in the UFC. So he feels different than your average prospect at, at this point. So what I mean is that, you know, every couple seasons we get a, oh crap, this guy is dominating this level of matchmaking. Let's try to project what he'll be like. Well, you know, what if we threw him in a title fight two fights from now? But when you see it as heavy flash, like Johnny Walker, for example, the flash means, Luke, he can reach a high note when things are aligned perfectly for him that somebody this young shouldn't, but it always suggests that, you know, the full package might not be there. There's just all the things that Rachmanov does looks 
completely finished. The, you know what I'm saying? Like each category looks not just a flashbulb moment. It looks like it's completely powered up across the board in every category. So um, I was really high on Doohoo Choi. Remember him, Luke? You know, not so yes. long ago. The you Korean know, I, Superboy. And I thought he had all the holes filled. You know, where Johnny Walker, you just weren't sure. I want, you know, John, there was a point with Johnny Walker where you're like, dude, just put him in there with John Jones and see what happens, you know? But you didn't really know what he had. I was much more confident in a Doohoo Choi, and, and he didn't even work out because of the wars that he got into uh, once he really started to step up. But this guy just feels different even than all of those names, Luke. You know, it just feels different. There, there's a... There's a there's a vibe with him that I that I see in Islam Mahachev and Mahachev's obviously accomplished much mm. more and fought much better competition for longer, but it's that complete product feel where you're like, please somebody drag this guy to the deep water because like, he's got he's got his speedo on Luke. Yes, in a manner of speaking, yes. He I mean, does he's have ready to speedo. swim, Luke. Okay, there there was no backdoor meaning on that on that entendre. Please, all right. Do you, do you like the idea that he floated? By the way, for folks who may not understand this, he signed a four or five deal. My understanding is he's just trying to get through this contract, and then the next contract he's going to start. You know, working his way through. I guess they wanted to just burn one before he started trying to get money. I, you know, they didn't want to pay him or whatever he's getting for fighting the Carlson Harrises of the world. Uh, that you know, if you're going to get paid that much, fight those kind of guys. So with the last fight on the on the contract, he was thinking about Michelle Pereira. Do you like that idea? I, I got to tell you, I don't. I don't no, like that Luke, idea. No, Luke, I love that idea, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yes, yes, I do. I do, Luke. Yes, I love everything about that idea. Please, please. Dude, he's going to, yes. I mean, that guy is going to get torqued, tortured, like, Shavkat Rachmanov is going to run through him like nothing. It's no, not no, a no, no, it's not. Luke, whoa, 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 Luke. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow up. W would he over the time beat and maybe stop him? Meaning, you know, could Rachmanov do it? Yeah, I could talk myself into that. But full domination, I don't know, Luke. This guy, you know, Padeda, when dialed in, is, is obviously a freak athlete who can take you down and can throw enough flash that you, you can't be guns blazing offensively. You've got to you know, really kind of take notice of. So I don't know. There'd be some negotiations in that cage before the eventual stoppage probably happened, but it's not, it's not hot knife through butter, Luke. And that's the intrigue of the matchup. Uh, I don't think it'd be very close. I think, uh, I think Rachmanov would, would, I don't, I, I don't see how that one could go past two. I think Rachmanov would have his way with him, um, which is in part probably why he called him out. Um, there's that as well. So, We'll have to see what happens next, but it's not this contract that I'm expecting the things to get interesting. It's the next one. We'll have to see what happens when he does. So that. you're saying you don't want that fight because you think it's it's mismatched. That's what ultimately what you're saying. Well, on some level, anyone outside the top 15 is a bit of a mismatch um, for him. But yeah, I just like if you're going to book a fight where you feel like one guy has a really distinct and clear advantage, there would have to be a reason where you have to book it. Partly they could be you know, close together in the rankings. Partly it could be who's available, right? All those things. To me, this is one where, like, his argument was, oh, he beat a teammate of mine. I want to get that one back. Fine. But absent that decision, BC, I don't understand what you could make about the matchup that would make the fight competitive or interesting. To me. Yeah, but I don't know. It seems like the perfect fight, the perfect step up. It seems really, really, really does. 
but uh, the guy the guy has a name and a bit of attention, and he's actually doing really well. It makes sense, and I understand why Rachmanov called him out. I merely mean as a guy who has a high opinion of Rachmanov, it doesn't do much for me in terms of moving the needle because I sort of assume that like I don't know what Pereira could do short of some kind of accident. Okay, well here's what he could do, Luke. He could make it a a wild freaking fight at a high pace that potentially exposes Shavkat's uh, gas tank mixed with how does he respond to being legitimately hurt. Now, you and I both agree he passes that test, but you can't act like that's not possible. I mean, look, you know, Edmund Shabazian looked great until he didn't. Um, I was riding the Tom Dukenwa train as the next big thing. Okay, Luke, it he happened. He was good. He was good. He, he, he should have got to the UFC earlier than he did. You know, yeah. Dana thought Cynthia Calvillo was like the next big thing. You know, she he hadn't seen the four strong in one in a while since he saw her. And look what happened. Tatiana Suarez, and it's not even her fault. Luke, we fall for the next big thing. But you got to put the next big thing in the big thing before you find out if they got next. Dude, I am just on fire today. Wow. Well, it, I mean, I hope your arm doesn't break patting yourself on the back. But yes, you're right. In 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 short, you're right. I cannot declare to you that I know that he can beat them. That's why they fight. That's what we have to know. I'm just telling you, my, if you're asking me like why my enthusiasm for it is like, meh, it's because personally speaking, and I can't prove this until we see what happens, I just feel it's very much a foregone conclusion. But you're right. I don't know that, and we'll have to see. So um, for that reason, they might actually end up making it. Uh, all right, BC, so you watched and you did a live reaction for us afterwards. Let's talk a little bit of boxing if we can here. Keith Thurman fought one time in, in three years, which is not why he has the nickname, but it was fitting. But he got back to the ring on Saturday. And I have to tell you, BC, he cut his hair and whatnot, which was good. I know folks didn't want him to cut his hair, but the hair situation. Listen, for those of us who are losing our hair, we understand that you got to just call it a day at certain points. He looked good physically and he looked dominant early didn't quite have the step on the gasness of it later in the fight but he won that one walking away how much was this winning performance by Thurman restorative of some of the hype that had been lost pretty big pretty damn big because you had a few questions that really needed answering and one of those was the whole thing surrounding his hunger well, you know, fought two times in five years due to injuries and other things. Um, but, you know, does he want it anymore? That mixed with, uh, has he been gone for too long? Ring rust? Is he not the same fighter anymore? He he answered all those questions because not only did we get to see a dynamic offensive performance, and if he was going to be dynamic, there was potential it, it could be a, a, you know, a, a one-sided fight in the end. But he also, you know, got hit to the body and got hurt and, and, and answered a question again. So, it's weird, Luke. Did he answer all the questions? No. And what I mean by that is he answered the question that he restored the luster pretty damn far. You know, he looked close enough to, to the to the prime Thurman of old. Not, not exactly, but close enough. But there's the other question is, did he look like he could not just compete with, but, you know, have a shot in your mind of beating the very best, which are Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. The answer is still no right now, but you mm. got to give Thurman uh, grace and you got to give him a shot to, to prove you're wrong here because the layoff was extreme and he showed his commitment. He came in at 145 and a quarter pounds, which you wouldn't have guessed for an aging fighter off this long. And I thought, Luke, he self-assessed himself perfectly after the fight and saying what I was lacking was really stamina based. I didn't have that second right. level explosion. And right. he said, you know, he knows how to restore that in the gym ahead of time. 
So, you know, we're never really going to know, Luke, can he upset a Spencer Crawford until we see it? And the odds are going to be against him because Spencer Crawford are generational talents, okay? But Keith Thurman, as a celebrity elite welterweight pay-per-view boxer, he's back, baby. And I think that was the most important question he had to answer in this fight. Yeah, I, I, I'm not as down on Thurman as some of the other folks. I, I grant that the criticisms of it are fair, right? It was a better first half than a second half. Fine, no doubt. I mean, simply no denying it. And I have to say, I texted you this. Dude, it is, it is impressive as shit that this fight was at 147. Thurman, now he did rock Barrios, I mean, multiple times. I thought by the fourth round he was going to get him out of there because he was just beating him pillar to post. And, and Barrios' face afterward was a complete swollen mess. So, you know, Thurman did quality work, the, to be clear. But for Tank Davis to go up to 140 and put that dude away, it tells you a lot, man. That guy can fucking punch. Okay, but about Keith well, Thurman. Luke, let me, let me, can I throw in a, a, a thing that helps that? They talked about the, it on the broadcast. Did he move it up to 147? Yeah, normally there's eight-ounce gloves at 147 and then pounds they have the in 10, these type yeah. of fights. Barrios' team pushed for the 10-ounce, which is in the rules. This is the last weight class. You can do that. And they ended up having the 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 lighter gloves on, so that didn't help. And also, look, I, I get that if you they had the eight real... or they had the ten. Oh, they wanted the ten. They got the eight. Excuse me, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. No, they they, they got the ten. Thurman got wanted the, 10. the eight. Most times they use the eight. Barrios's team that's somehow right. got it to ten. Okay. But let's also not forget, Tank Davis was coming up in weight against a bigger Barrios, so he had to fight and make it a fight. Meaning, and look, Barrios had moments, and I think. Barrios put himself in position to get hit with the kind of shots that lead to knockouts against Tank because Barrios was the bigger guy getting into a brawl with a smaller guy. I think once he consistently tasted the power of Keith, there was only so much he could put step on the gas and go for it, Luke. Like That's Barrios fine. showed showed toughness and balls, but he also never put himself in a spot to be stopped. He kind of would come up just short and play it somewhat safe on the outside and and I, you know, and and that's a harsh criticism, but I think it plays into why Thurman didn't get the stoppage, mixed with maybe his own sort of "I'm more focused on going the distance and not gassing out than I am on stopping this guy." That, that's a totally fair point. Glove difference, weight class difference, and then how certain success affects certain kinds of strategies, which makes the fight look a certain way. These are all incredibly fair points, and the ultimate way in which Tank Davis was able to put Barrios away was with a body shot, right? So. I don't know that Thurman was as invested to the body in a way that, that that a guy like Davis was. Nevertheless, as a side note, it is remarkable that a guy at 130 can do that to a guy at 141 when he goes to 147, and there's not exactly the same kind of symmetry. Just pointing that out, he's obviously a heavy puncher. But in the case of Thurman, dude, this is the question I was... I, I, was, I mean, we were talking about like what were we expecting on on Friday from, from Thurman? How much could he give us when he's fought two times in five years? Dude, for two times in five years... When really the kind of main thing you saw was he didn't quite have the same zip and pop in the second half of a 12-round fight. That's a, a correctable thing, as he indicated. I do believe that. Now, whether he will do it, we'll have to see. But at least in theory, is quite correctable. And B, short of that, I thought he looked in phenomenal physical condition overall in terms of like body composition and how, what kind of training he'd been doing and what kind of focus he had. This was the kind of performance in a similar kind of way to Sean Strickland. Did not tell me that he, Ugas, I guess we'll see, but did not tell me he could beat Crawford or, or, or Spence. However, however, it did tell me that I don't think he's very far from putting himself in a space where he could give those guys already tough fights and then with another camp or two, very tough fights. Like that, those actually, I think, would be kind of competitive, kind of interesting. 
it wasn't ultimately restorative of the guy who beat Danny Garcia or previously on CBS or whatever. Did I see that guy? No, I did not see that guy. Yeah, the but did I see is- a version? Did I see a version of that guy? BC very far away from that one. Not necessarily. No, I don't think that's true. Well, the the key question is: Can he use this to get himself even closer to that 2017 version against Danny Garcia right after the Sean Porter win? Um, it's still possible, but the crux of of the criticism well, on, BC, against BC. Let me. I do want to ask you a question because I do think it's important to get your perspective here. In terms of what was okay. In terms of what's possible, he could have come back and looked amazing like Superman. But I'm talking about in terms of two fights in five years, hand injuries, the like, how much was realistically possible? We know that ring rust doesn't affect every fighter every time, but most fighters most of the time. I think you saw a little bit of that in terms of execution over the course of 12 rounds. Yeah. But my, my, my point is this, BC, and we'd love to get your reaction. In terms of what was possible for an elite fighter under those conditions, the version of Keith Thurman you got was one of the better versions you could have gotten. Absolutely. He just didn't do it down the avenue that that really plugs the hole of the voice of the of the, even the harshest critics. And I agree with you. I think this is much more, much, much more a plus and a positive than a negative. And I, what I was going to say was, you know, the, the real crux of his true critics, Luke, and I'll be fair, he's, he, those true critics have been there since... That second half of that Danny Garcia decision win in which he played it a little bit safe. And, you know, you have to look fairly at Thurman's performance against Barrios and say, was he risk averse? And it's hard to even say that because it sounds stupid. It's like risk averse. He's landing the bigger punchers throughout. But, Luke, if you're going to be a one of his harshest critics, you will say, yeah, he still looked a little risk averse, though, over the second half. And the fear is that risk aversion will not just be there because of the long layoff, but will follow him when things get tough against Spence and Crawford. So the harshest of harsh critics knows he can get into those fights, Luke, but they have severe doubts that he can win those. Where do you stand on that? Can the very best version of him improve on this for 33 years old and actually beat a Spencer Crawford in your eyes? Well, here a couple things I would say. Number one, Spence has to get through Ugas first, right? So we'll have to see what, what he looks like after eye surgery. I mean, I would imagine he'll be fine. But again, these, these, these things being automatic, let's see. Number two, Crawford is to me just significant. I, I, listen, what could Keith Thurman have showed you against Mario Barrios that made you that would make someone go, he can beat Sean Porter? Or excuse me, um, uh, Bud Crawford. Who, I, I don't know if that was even on the table, to be honest with you. So no, I don't see that. But what I would say is, Crawford is not getting any younger. He's on the wrong side, so to speak, of 35. He looked amazing against Sean Porter, but Sean Porter showed ways to make that competitive. And so my only point being is, okay, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you that even on his best night, he had anything for uh, Crawford. But Crawford's getting older. Spence having surgeries himself, by the way, getting older as well. This was his first fight back. If he ends up having another one where he looks better than this, where he doesn't have that second half letdown, um, th- this entire narrative can change. The other thing I would say, BC, is do you think there's anything to the idea, not that Pacquiao and Barrios are even the same kind of competitor, same kind of challenge, same kind of thing, but in the fight with Pacquiao, Thurman had to kind of rally on the back yeah. half a little and bit. And looked great and had a chin, had so, everything. So, my, so, here's, so my question is this. Do you think being off that long, he was a little bit worried about like, I cannot start this one not strong? Came out a little bit too strong and then had to calibrate it back. 
Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's it. I think he was just solely focused on not gassing out. And and again, his response to that body punch situation in the eighth round, spitting out the mouth, unorthodox, spitting out that the mouthpiece bad. and yeah. catching it and getting that deep breath, it helped him recover because, you know, that was the Josecito spot, right? That was the spot where, oh, crap, it's all falling apart right now after a long layoff. He passed that test. Um, you just want to imagine, can he remove the risk aversion? It wasn't the... It, it wasn't there against Pacquiao, but it kind of was just from the standpoint of his biggest critique on his own performance against Pacquiao was that he didn't throw enough. In fact, Luke, he told me on that interview that he feels if he, if he landed 15 more punches, it would have been enough to sway that close split, split decision. Mm. But he's he can't out... He can't come in looking to outpoint Spencer Crawford. That's the point, because the fear, Luke... Remember when Sergey Kovalev fought Canelo and Sergey's the bigger puncher? But he chose self-preservation by boxing. And even though at the time of the stoppage, you could argue he was slightly ahead. I had him slightly ahead. Kovalev boxed really good behind his jab. But once Canelo went for it, it was over. I, I, I Nobody wants to see Thurman acting like Kovalev against Spencer Crawford, right? You want to see him going in there, okay, looking to win more rounds, but also looking to knock this guy out. And to be able to do that against a Spencer Crawford you have to be willing to welcome a lot of danger. And I don't know, Luke. I don't know. I think I think you're right that like what would be required to get past those kinds of challenges are not things that you saw before the long layoffs. And even with this one, not something that you saw that would give you an inspiration about his chances there. I think that's a very fair criticism. In part, though, what's interesting is you know, again, I wasn't covering boxing in a dedicated way when Thurman was doing some of his better work on CBS and whatever, the early PBC kind of explosion there. And as a consequence, I don't know that I have some of the same kind of, uh, I won't say hang-ups, but I, I have a, it, and it's not even fresher eyes because in a way it's more ignorant eyes. I just mean to say I wasn't judging him based off some of the glory that he had shown previously. I was merely judging him based off some of that and then, like, just what is reasonably attainable for even an elite athlete in the space? For me, under those conditions, he passed. But I certainly grant BC, if you're looking for something that made you think that, like, this guy can go up there and really give Crawford, put him on his heels, or Spence is going to get outworked and blah, 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 or the power's there that he'll just bite down on the mouthpiece. No, he took the mouthpiece out and kept moving when he got, <laughs> he yeah, got hit to it, the solar plexus. I understand that. I understand The that. reason why all of these fears need to be compartmentalized and not get in the way of your excitement for when he does fight those guys. And by the way, he very well could be fighting, you know, Terrence Crawford next. It would seem like the right next career move to Crawford to sit down with Al Heyman and figure out a price and do this. Um, he had a gap between the Jose Cito and the Manny Pacquiao fights. That was what four months. And the questions we had about him coming out of Jose Cito, I think, boy, did he answer with his performance, even in a loss against Pacquiao. So let's give him the chance to do that against Crawford if it happens, even though that's a steeper hill to climb at this point. Manny was okay. 40. He had a great year, great performance, but steeper hill against Crawford. Fair enough. I think it's a good point. All right, let's go back and sort of say from a combat sports weekend here for point number four, there were a, a lot of different things happening, a lot of different parts, a lot of things uh, going here or there. So, BC, question for you, very simple. In boxing or MMA, for good or for bad, who stood out to you on Saturday night that we have not yet talked about? I know our MMA fans don't want to hear all this boxing coverage, Luke, but you and I had legitimate questions about Luis Neri from Mexico, the former 122 and 118 pound champion who had come off that body shot title knockout loss to Brandon Figueroa. And it had been a, a bad stretch, right? Like, you know, even he looked bad in wins and, and 
changed trainers and just didn't didn't look like that guy anymore. And oh, by the way, he gassed out against Figueroa, more or less. He came out against Carlos Castro. This was an important fight on the undercard um, of the of the Thurman pay-per-view over the weekend. And look, he boxed beautifully, scored a big time knockout knockdown in the first round, but didn't gas himself out going for the finish afterwards. And even though his gas tank slowed a little bit in the second half, I thought he thoroughly outboxed Carlos Castro in ways that I didn't expect. He was a counterpuncher for most of it, but his defense was sound. He wasn't getting hit. And when he's, you know, committed to power shots, they they moved. It ended up being a split decision. I really didn't understand the the judging on the other side at all. Uh, but the right guy won. And I think you insert him right back in that mix with Stephen Fulton, with Figueroa, with Danny Roman, with uh, the the unified champion Akdamaliyev, uh, he's still that guy, Luke, and it was great to see. No doubt about it. And uh, I saw right away. I didn't see the fight itself. I, I did see the main event that night, but I didn't see this one until it made its way to social media. For the first round on, as you indicated, setting the tone, uh, he looked pretty good this time. I think the last two performances seemed like were a bit of a wake up call for him, or on some level, it looked to me like. He didn't change who he was, but it did look to me like he had tightened some things up a little bit around what he was doing and the way he was applying his trade. So a nice win by him. I don't bring this up in any kind of joy. I bring it up because it, it actually did it set a record, at least tied a record on Saturday night. Sam Alvey gets another loss. That I think brings him to 0-7-1 in his last eight. Um, not a great run. That would tie BJ Penn for the longest winless streak in <clears throat> UFC history. I would imagine that this would probably mean his organizational exit although one can never be too sure but the thing that really stood out to me was he does have some obviously a fair number of wins in ufc let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten he's got ten ufc wins however when you look through them jean Vellante not in the organization anymore marcin Pracnio, i don't think he's in the ufc anymore rashad evans retired mark hart gone alex nicholson gone kevin casey eric spicely gone dan kelly cesar Ferreira gone dylan andrews i believe is gone so the only person he, I don't think he has a win over a he UFC fighter who's still Luke. on the, yeah. He retired yeah, them all while smiling, all right? In a way, in a way. Those are nice wins, especially at the time that he got him, including the Rashad Evans wins. But um, I think that might mean the end of his uh, UFC run. We'll have it to It probably see. should because at the super elite level, you can't employ fighters losing that many times in a row. His situation was much different than BJ Penn, Luke. Um meaning that Alvy was more competitive in a lot of these fights, but also he's a good company guy and he takes last minute opp- opportunities and new opponents and whatever. And, 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 you know, goes out there and earns an honest paycheck. And uh, sometimes you can clown a guy like this, but at the end of the day, you really have respect for a guy like this who came out and fight, but you know, Oh seven uh, in with a no contest in eight fights that, that, you know, that says it all, Luke, you know, you rarely get somebody with this many consecutive before they just, they just shut it down anyway. I remember the days, I, I remember vividly when if you got three losses in a row, they would bounce you. And I'll never forget when Dan Hardy lost to Anthony Johnson. I think they were supposed to have fought on like a versus card. And that at the time represented Hardy's third loss in a row or so, maybe even fourth, something like that. And uh, I remember Lorenzo Fertitta tweeting that like, you know, he's not going anywhere because he's so great, which is good. Like you, as a rule, like, you know, three losses in a row is a hard thing to the UFC level. It's it's very easy to lose three in a row, no, no matter where you are, top five, top fifteen, or not. 
Um, so I'm glad that there's more leeway, but you're right. Once you start getting to this, I mean, this is a lot. This is a lot that we haven't won. So I tend to think this might be it for him at the UFC level. However, he probably will get signed by one of your bigger ones. One, PFL, BKFC, Bellator, something like that. So, Luke, all right. do you have uh, extra credit planned today for, for the other stories of note? I don't know, because I would have done a big one on, on um, Shavkat Rachmanov, but I feel like at this point it's kind of overkill. And the rest of that card was kind of, you know, I don't know. So we'll see. All right. You, did you like Nick Maximov's uh, Diaz brother impression in the interview no. afterwards? He had all the mannerisms down, Luke. Fighting style totally different, though. Isn't that wild? It's so, it's so weird to me. Like, is too, Luke. That guy's jacked. Yeah, he, he's, he's jacked. He, by the way, that kid's only 24 years old. I mean, that's pretty, you know, did he have the most dynamic win? No, he didn't. But for 24, and that's your eighth fight, that's a pretty good job he did. Um, the thing I would say, though, is you know what's really weird to me is they don't just, like, borrow the Diaz brothers' personality. They borrow it to, like, a T. Like, I was pointing this out. I used to listen to the Deftones, or two Deftones a lot. I like Deftones a lot. I saw them in concert a couple of times. Um, but, you know, their work changes around a certain album called The White Pony. Like, all of their walkout music that they use in the Deftones is all post that. They don't get anything from, like, early Deftones. It's just, like, very specifically Diaz in the way that the Diaz's are who they are. It, it, it's just incredible that they've absorbed that personality so directly, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like they're, they're, he's soaked in it. He's dripping Diaz swag. And, and uh, yeah, he does it well, Luke. Um, d- did you say White Pony? Is that a Booger Sugar reference, Luke? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, slangs and terms. Last but not least, BC, this is a fun one for me. Let's look ahead to UFC 271 main event this weekend. The rematch, one that has been long anticipated. I think we all kind of thought, okay, Adesanya beat Robert Whitaker thoroughly the first time, but that wasn't going to be their only meeting. Sure enough, Robert Whitaker goes on a win streak that cannot be in any way doubted whatsoever, gets the rematch. BC, what is the main storyline in this fight ahead of fight week that you are paying attention to? I think it kind of has to be the... Is Robert Whitaker actually a better fighter than he was back when he was running a little bit too, you know, hot and heavy, and we know the situation and mentally and physically fatigued, and and then you know, he not only did he get stopped by Adesanya in that first fight, but I like his honesty and humility to say, look, I got so caught up in just wanting to beat that guy, right? So I think the the storyline surrounding are we going to now get to see what this potentially classic fight has to offer between two i think when you know when all is said and done all-time great fighters um is this going to be the type of competitive theater that it could have been back then if the if the situations were different and in the long run has this fall but rise from whitaker made him better for it coming into this now and uh it it's I mean, that storyline, which extends easily and connects to the idea of Luke, buckle up. This is mixed martial arts at its finest. Like, I can't freaking wait for this fight. Storyline-wise, X's and O's-wise, what it means to their legacies. Like, I love this fight, Luke, okay? I have a, I yeah, I'm, I'm rock hard with emotion, Jake Hager, about this fight, Luke. The comparison is not accurate, what I'm about to say, on certain levels for very obvious reasons. But I would not want to lose sight, BC, 
of some of the potential historical parallels. What do I mean by that? Not so much uh, Anderson Silva versus Chael Sonnen. That doesn't fit. But Anderson Silva versus Rich Franklin has some unique and interesting parallels. A guy in Rich Franklin, before Anderson Silva came along, I remember him as champion. I remember him beating... Um, certainly David Loaza was a big one, but you know, uh, Edwin Deweese, I remember him just beating the shit out of Edwin Deweese, uh, Evan Tanner as well. You're just tuning these guys up. He was the man before Anderson Silva ever got there. And then Anderson Silva gets there and Rich Franklin got kind of cast out and then had a rematch situation later and it didn't go his way either. Now, I don't know if that will happen, BC. In fact, you know, to be clear, Robert Whitaker is better than Rich Franklin ever was. And Adesanya is, does not have the record of achievement at middleweight that Anderson Silva does, but it it looks like it could have some of the same historical patterns kind of at least echoing a little bit over the course of time, even through this middleweight division. It's interesting that you might be getting some yeah, of the same parallels. That, I don't hate that parallel, but the, right. the, main, the main difference, Luke, is that I don't see how you could have expected. Now, I'd have to go back and revisit everybody's mindset and what people predicted, but sure. with how... Freaking dominant Anderson Silva disposed of Franklin in the, the most time. brutal way in the first fight. I don't remember having any level of confidence that 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 Franklin was going to turn that back and avenge it. Uh, you know, I didn't expect an arguably just as lethal and violent finish, which was just brutal as shit a second time around. But um, I think the main difference is we expect this second fight to be to be far better than the first. True. No doubt about it. I didn't. I didn't. I remember the the rematch. I didn't have a ton of feeling that Rich Franklin was going to be able to do things a lot differently. However, I would tell you, it took a few fights, even including through his championship run by Anderson Silva, before people bought in. It took a long time, actually. People were not automatically of the belief, even after he was beating Dan Henderson and everybody else. There were still a few fights in where folks were kind of like, "Yeah, but could he beat this guy? Could he beat well, that it's guy?" Because- so. It's, it was be that little shit stretch of like Talis Latis and Damian Maya and even you know, no, broke- no no even when he first came to the UFC remember Chris Lieben was like I'm gonna beat him and send him back to Japan and of course Chris Lieben got you know totally annihilated what I mean to say is that little strain of thought uh, existed early into his UFC run oh, sure. even amidst all the success that he had so we're not in that kind of territory I just mean to say there are some interesting historical parallels I would add on top of that though BC I think that one thing that has been a part of the storyline that is quite true and, and reasonable is it looked to me like if Robert Whitaker just wanted to try to MMA strike with Adesanya, that, that's not a very winnable fight for him. I think Adesanya is probably too good on that level. So what he has said, and I think is you know how he implements it will actually be what really decides this fight or not, is he's just going to be much more of an MMA fighter. I'm going to be level changing. I'm going to make him work in the clinch. I'm going to make him wrestle, but I'm going to make him strike as well. I'm going to do this, that. I'm going to introduce all of the different elements of MMA as a larger complete fight to see what I can get done. If he ends up losing that, what it will end up meaning is that also Adesanya was able to level up in the same kind of way, maybe not the exact same um, uh, portions of the game, but that he will have experienced, if he gets the W, he will have experienced the same kinds of growth and determination that a guy like Whitaker has put himself through. The thing we haven't really talked about is what happens to the division if Whitaker wins? Do they give Adesanya a third fight right away? I, they they might actually, right? They should. They might, and they should. And uh, and I, you know, you know, I've been 
fantasy matchmaking, you know, for about a year and a half, the idea of Whitaker winning this and then we get the trilogy and this is, you know, the rivalry of this division, you know, historically and up there with, you know, Silva Sonnen and, and I mean, this, this has the, that potential to be big and, and certainly the storylines of has Adesanya improved anywhere on the level Whitaker has in the, in the, in the, you know, in the interim since they fought each other as a legitimate one. But Luke, I do want to say one thing. Well, clearly you're right. A, a completely well-rounded performance from Robert Whitaker, who I think is arguably the most well-rounded fighter in this game at the elite level um, would be preferred, you know, to have your best chance of beating Adesanya. And that was the reason why Whitaker was the betting favorite ahead of the first one. And I think even, being an Adesanya fan, you, you had to kind of go, okay, there is a <laughs> there is a path here where if Robert Whitaker just comes out and shines everywhere, this may not be Adesanya's night. You sounded like you don't think it's possible for him to win a fight on the feet for five rounds against Adesanya by, by boxing. Obviously, the threat of kicks and, and calf strikes, mm-hmm. it's going to be a part of it. But just by his pure boxing ability, I will say, Luke, I feel like, really, some people are... Over some people are saying this three fight win streak is overrated by Whitaker. Like, who are these people? He showed like every single skill because he was forced to and went five tactical rounds with three elite guys. In some of those performances, I know Gastelum's been way up and down since that Adesanya fight, but that was a great Gastelum that night. You know, like he put it back mm-hmm. together. I think Whitaker, if he wants to, Luke, can go in there with the mindset of. How do I win five rounds against this guy? And I, I trust that his skill set has a very good chance of pulling that off. I would argue that um, if you were advising Whitaker on best ways to win, you would not argue to him to just box without Asanya. You would not. You, you like in other words, your point is he could box and win. That might be true. He might be able to box and win. I mean, it comes down to his jab in that case, Luke. If he's if right. he's using that as a direct weapon, but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is not what can he do to win. What are the things he could do that give him the very best chance of winning? And if I'm thinking about his very best chances of winning, a strict boxing game would not be that. It would actually encompass a larger array of things like threats of the takedown or all the various tricks that uh, Whitaker and his team have cooked up. I think that is his best chance and. How good do I think that is? I think that is, I think if if Adesanya is not on his game in the way, the very best of his game, he's going to lose that belt. That's how good I think Robert yeah. Whitaker is. And, and obviously Whitaker's going to need the threat of, like you said, the complete game. But I think sometimes the fights end up going that way of just being a stand-up fight. And I think he's going to trust his chess skills in that regard. And I think he should, Luke. It's going to come down to that jab, but it's part of why you love this fight so damn much. And I think it's part of why the finish was so surprising. Yes, Adesanya had, in their first fight, had had more success up to the stoppage point, of course, but you didn't see that coming at that moment, Luke. Am I wrong? No. Uh, well, he did drop him in the end of the first, so there is that, right? Certainly. he. That's what, you know, he had an advantage at that point in the fight. I'm just saying it felt abrupt. It felt, oh, shit. Yeah. You know, like, look what he just did to Robert Wick. Like, it was, it, it, it was, uh, yeah, it, it it moved me. Well, the, the the part about the fight that actually works in Robert Whitaker's favor is that was, I mean, I don't, Adesanya was better that night, period. He just was better that night. But I really don't believe that that was even close to the best Robert Whitaker. And 
it was a very limited Robert Whitaker. He didn't show a ton of his skills. I think Eugene Behrman even said it recently, and it's quite right. If you're Robert Whitaker, it has to suck that you lost the first fight, but the good part has to be that there are so many things you can do in the second fight that you never even had a chance to do in the first fight that are going to keep you safer and give you a better chance to win. So, like, if you're the Adesanya camp, dude, you got a lot of work you have to, like, have prepared for all the things that Robert Whitaker can throw at you. This one should be a lot different, a lot closer. I think it might be a nail-biter to the very end. I really believe that. You know, Luke, sometimes these UFC pay-per-view cards are so stacked that there's, like, you know, four or five competing storylines, you know, from from the main events and the title and the co-main event to, you know, somebody's big return. Um, this is the only storyline for this card, and probably rightfully so. And it gives them the 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 focus, you know, and the attention that this rematch deserves. But like, there's almost no other storylines coming out of this card. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Although, in fairness, when you've got a main event this good, you know, how much help does it need, right? That kind of a thing. Well, and and by the way, the you know some of those fights that could be taking storylines in this case are just complimenting the main event when you've got Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson in such an important top five, right. you know, producing maybe the next title contender fight. Um, very excited about, about that one. Luke. That, yeah, that one is super interesting because both of those guys have kind of tasted the top of that division. Both of them had their moments where, you know, they got bounced a little bit once they tried, but they're too good to be dismissed. And in the case of Brunson appears to have really, you know what, Brunson? Brunson has made the overall career reformation that Figueredo made in the Moreno uh, uh, re- or third fight, um, where he just kind of, I didn't change everything I did, but I dialed the intensity back a little bit, which allows me to make clear, more focused, safer decisions. And it has elevated well, him he, to the I nth think he degree. took the sport serious for the first time. And that sounds crazy when he was like, you know, before that, already winning big fights and in big fights. But Luke, to be fair, Derek Brunson had a long run of kind of fighting like an asshole. Like, I always say that, and then people go, oh, that's so rude. But, like, he fought like an asshole against Robert Whitaker in round one, Luke, and he got stopped, and it was almost, like, rightfully so. Um, he's, I mean, yes, that's him dialing it back, to your point, but I think he is focused on the, the game-planning mental side of the game uh, for the first time at this level, and you're seeing the fruits of it. And shout-out to him doing it at this age. And, oh, by the way, Luke, not only are these two, you know, late thirties middleweights, but like we know what's at stake in terms of potential title contention. Do you think Jared Cannonier's win over Kelvin Gastelum was any level of fool's gold based on Gastelum's up and downness? Because I came out of that fight thinking Cannonier has learned from the Robert Whitaker loss and maintained a very elite level of boxing and defense and really efficiency where I don't think he's out of the title conversation at this point. Dude, remember in that fight with Whitaker, I know you're asking about the gasoline fight. I share your sentiments exactly. And then on top of that, what I would add is, remember the Whitaker fight. Whitaker was kind of kicking his ass and nearly stopped him. But, dude, this is one thing that has defined Cannoneer. wasn't enough for, to help him get the W that night. However, he kind of rallied at the very, very end of that fight and had Whitaker, not once say in trouble per se, but Whitaker had the situation where he nearly had this guy finished. And then Cannoneer came back to life at the end of that fight. He is very, very tough, very perseverant. And the thing you're pointing out is he can take that kind of willpower and those experiences that he's had against quite literally championship-level fighters and then build on that with extra work with John Crouch in terms of the skill set, the things he needs to bring himself along 
to have better success when he gets another run. Dude, Derek Brunson has a the fight of his life on his hands, I and mean, I, Luke, I agree with you. Uh, he, so does Jared Cannonier. When Cannonier authored that 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 really incredible turnaround comeback story of cutting all the way down to middleweight and then knocking out those guys three in succession, it was like what Anderson Silva, David Branch, I forgot the third one. You you kind of looked at him as like a Jessica Andrade, like uh, like the power is going to be there at any point in the fight, and he can knock out anybody. But do you see him as an elite five round, you know, technical make adjustments guy? I think at that point we didn't. But now that he's had the chance to show it, he's completely, I think, evolved from that way of thinking. I mean, this is a very, very good, powerful and dangerous, but smart fighter. So I really like Cannoneer's chances against Brunson. Obviously, he'll be tested in, in on the ground and you love the style contrast and all that. But uh I, I expect a lot from this version of Cannonier. I think he's got a lot left. That's that's really the point of what I'm saying. I think he's got I a think lot that's, left. I think that's very fair. I think that's very fair. And he, as you indicated, kind of an older guy, but still quite with it. All right. With that in mind, it's time now for the viewers to ask us questions. We put up a post on Instagram every Sunday where we solicit them. It's time for DMs from Donks. And, of course, you can always give us a, uh, a follow Yeehaw. at Morning Combat on Insta. He All right, BC, from Buzz the Blogger, who has a higher ceiling, Shavkat Rachmanov or Hamzat Chemaev? I love that question, and, and this is the natural comparison, and that, you got a lot of people saying they should fight each other next, which is, that's wild, Luke. That's, that's, that's wild, bro. And I think that the main difference between them, you asked that question earlier, the difference between them is that Chemaev's shown more against better competition. You know, right. A, a, that's the really the main difference, although their game is different, obviously. Totally. But who has the brighter ceiling? I think you have to admit right now that in a one-night scenario, meaning if you put both of them in title fights tomorrow, I still like Chemaev's brand a little bit yeah. more in terms of uh, what trusted and, and, and yeah. Like, I believe in his chances of winning a title tomorrow better. But long run of their career, Luke, I think Rachmanov's the... The safer bet, the 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 more long term um, value of the two brands going up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like like you said, it's really impossible to say with how little information we have. Chimaev ha- does have better wins as a consequence of some of the you know, opportunities he's had thus far, but um, I like I'll say this: I like Rachmanov's game better. But you know, if the question is who has a higher ceiling, and the answer is who's shown more to this point. With the information that we have, it would be Chemayev, but we have such little information that, like, I wouldn't, you know, hardly would be surprising if he ends up being better. But I just mean we can't really say for sure right now. But obviously, both, dude, both of these guys are going to be in title fights at Luke, some ad- point. Admit it, you would be giddy as a schoolgirl if mm-hmm. Shavkat Rachmanov move to uh move to the oceanic region and join ckb luke you would have a city kicking boner luke you would be so freaking happy luke you would walk around i don't with, like, know a- what that would do for his game exactly i, I, I don't know if that's the best it's not thing. about him luke it's about you right now okay all right from i'm just gonna ignore that from joby the hut with this person wrote san alvey with sam alvey <laughs> on a zero zero and one streak, what are the worst and most surprising losing streaks that you can remember across both boxing and MMA? Uh, you know what surprising. name comes to mind, Luke? Kenan huh. Barrow, and it was uh, Uriah Faber who said on my old CBS podcast that he believes Barrow fell off the cliff while 
what, pound for pound number two and still in his late 20s because of the USADA era in the sport. You can argue that amongst yourselves. But that fall from grace and just knockout after knockout after uh-huh. gas out after a thorough decision loss after knockout is what, I mean, look, how does that even happen? Like, Johnny Hendricks had a somewhat similar, but Johnny Hendricks wasn't pound for pound number, you know, Dana making a, you know, standing outside with the, with the, with the sign, right? You know, saying vote for Barrow or Parrish. I mean, he, do you, do you compare that to anybody, Luke? That was, uh, that was like night and day. Um, do I compare that to anybody? Because you've seen it happen when it's self-induced. Like, yeah. Chavez Jr. or somebody, you know, like you, you, like that, you get that. You can understand that. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think, have there ever been boxing losing streaks like that? How many losses in boxing can you have before people just say, fuck it, we don't want want to watch anymore? That's a good point. um, I mean, it didn't have that many losses, but Roy Jones had a couple of those runs in the second half of his career. Like after, you know, the, the knockout of Tarver and Johnson in, in succession. But then when he started going up to like cruiserweight and just getting sent to hell in Russia. Um, but that was never seven in a row. It doesn't typically get there, Luke. You know, I mean, we have Here's seen the thing, guys... because because the reason why you can get to seven and oh and like or oh and seven or whatever in UFC is that they still have a need for content production overall. And so they need like a they need manpower that is sort of more or less, you know, not readily available, but available for this slot and that slot and to fill in here and fill in there. And so you can kind of, even if you don't have the winningest record, I don't know about seven losses, but, you know, up up and down, let's say, if you still fill slots for them in ways that are convenient for their matchmaking and content production schedule, you can hang on. Whereas in boxing, it's a little bit more of eat what you kill. Yeah. If you've lost that much, you can't. Well, there's not a lot of interest. To be clear, this does happen because there are guys' jobs who are only to make prospects go rounds. And sometimes those guys doing that used to be names and, and they're not, they don't care about ending their career with seven, eight losses or, you know, what 10 losses and 11 fights or whatever, because their job is kind of to go out there and lose by decision or get knocked out. It's just, have we ever seen like a fall from grace on that? I mean, Leon Spinks was close. Luke winning the gold medal, beating Muhammad Ali for the heavyweight championship when he's seven and zero. And then just completely falling apart and drugs and getting knocked out every time he stepped up. And I mean, that's probably the only major comparison. Fair enough. All right. Um, from Greg Leach 99. I don't even know what to say about this. Thoughts on Dana White's decision to let the Nelk boys sign a fighter and sponsor slash promote them despite still not allowing fighters to acquire sponsors of their own. Why, why am I supposed to give a fuck about this? Yeah. This sounds very, uh, like, you know how much I don't care about NFTs, Luke, <laughs> or, or Dogecoin, you know what I mean? Like, this this fits into that. But why Dana White does have, it's like Dana White's got these celebrity friends that he, like, supports or, or, or keeps, you know, propped up and relevant. And sometimes you get it. You're like, oh, Kid Rock, yeah, I guess I get that, right? I don't get some of these other ones, like. Man, he loves the damn Nelk Boys, Luke. What are Nelk Boys again? The Nelk I, I don't Boys? know. I don't. We're, we're too old, and I'm sure their podcast is much bigger than ours, so they're going to be cooler. And uh, I don't know. But here's my point: it's like, oh, they're going to, they're going to, a, a guy who or a fighter who is a Nelk Boy sponsored, whatever, is going to come through Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, and I'm like, okay, they're probably still going to sign a bad contract. The Nelk Boys will probably pay them more than UFC does. And either they're good enough to stick around or they're not. Like, either way, 
So are we supposed to be afraid that like this will, is the future of this, and next we'll have Howler Head signed fighters, and then we'll have like is this where this is going, Luke? Blue Chew. Well, he, the the question is he he writes despite still not allowing fighters to acquire sponsors of their own, you can have sponsors of your own. There's just limits over what you can show on anything where it's a UFC broadcast or event, right? So that you could still have them. Here's a case where the Nelk boys will be able to advertise that they have a fighter on the UFC. This will be a noted thing on the broadcast, which I guess the UFC, I, I don't know this, but my hunch is BC, the UFC just is not doing this for free. They're probably paying for the right to do that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, is why is it happening? Yeah. Because they're paying for the right to do that. Uh, that's it's just why. like when you, when, you know, you're, father-in-law owns a business and you have him sponsor your little league team this was exactly and also it's like dude did you guys hear about this unfair uh labor practice that the fighters aren't getting paid enough it's like yeah we've heard of this what would you like me to keep saying about this that i've not said 50 million times it is an unequal situation that will not be rectified until someone rectifies it so what do i think about it and i think it's monday that's what i think about it what do you want me to say yeah, yeah. All right. Luke, would you say, though, even though we all, like, you know, grunted at the Reebok deal and what it meant for taking money and sponsors away from fighters, and we, you know, we don't want that leverage to be gone, but do you agree that when you go back on UFC Fight Pass and, you know, you're researching for the next fight or you're just watching for fun, when you see a pre-Reebok era fight and you see the banner with the millions of sponsors and you see the condom depot and all the, you know, stuff that we've laughed at through the years and the crazy shorts... That it looks AAA baseball compared to at least what, you know, one of the main focuses of going the uniformed full Reebok route was to to be uniformed and, and aligned in one, but also to be, to look cleaner. It's much cleaner, Luke, and it makes me hate Venom this era so much more because even though it's not far from the Reebok look, it just looks cheap and like spandex under underwatery underwear. I don't think that it looks all that much better. I think that the cage still being littered with ads kind of undercuts that argument completely. Okay. okay. And uh, also, I find it to be beside the point. I know what you're saying. Like, does it look? Yeah, I'm not, somewhat, I'm not arguing somewhat, financially. You know, yeah. Somewhat, but not. I, I don't really. Not, not for me. All right. From Cubby's fan eighty, BC. If you guys were forced to participate in a Winter Olympic competition, oh fuck me, against a fellow donk of your abilities, so you know, relatively even in abilities. Which event would you choose? I don't even, I, dude. I don't watch the Winter Olympics at all. What are Winter Olympic events? Skiing, ice skating. Can I, can I do the one where I ski and then shoot shit and then ski yeah, again? Yeah, biathlon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hockey. All kinds no. of luge, skeleton, bobsled type jams. Uh, what else is there for men, Luke? I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, I've never biathlon been a huge figure- Winter Olympic guy, to be fair. Except for when there's like USA, Canada, hockey, must see it. You know, oh, like that oh I, the answer to this is easy. Because I'm not doing skeleton where I go face first or luge where I'm going, you know, <laughs> the speed of light and shit. I'm not doing that. I'm not going back in time. I'm not doing that. <laughs> however, however, curling. Curling, I would try. My hand at curling. See, curling used to be cool to talk about or imagine doing that, and then it got really lame, and then suddenly, like, moms are making curling jokes, and then it was just sort of like, okay, it's like Mambo number five. I just, I can never hear it again or talk about it. Okay, but, the, dude, the other ones were going to get paralyzed. Alpine skiing, bobsled, cross-country <laughs> skiing, we're not, well, we'll have a heart attack. We wouldn't have a, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Figure yeah. skating, freestyle skating, ice hockey, luge, Nordic combined, Wow, Short dude, track I speed suck skating. at this. No wonder yes. why I suffer with winter depression. I don't ski. 
And dude, it gets skate. worse. Hold on, it gets worse. Four more. Skeleton, ski jumping. Dude, she will die ski jumping. Oh, God, hell Snowboard hell. and then speed skating. Dude, I'm fucking curling. I'm not doing that shit. I, I don't think there's actually an event that I can I can actually pull off, Luke. I can so you're saying like me against Damien the Donk and Yeah. Uh there's no like winter judo or anything, Luke. There's no like no. uh yeah. All right. Uh, Is there a winter podcasting? I could do that yeah. uh, reasonably well, I suppose. Can we hang out in the Olympic Village and watch everybody just or like orgy? Each orgy? Other? Isn't yes, that what happens yes. there? Yes, I want to do that. All right. Last but certainly not least, from Telvin Kipapa, Bengals oh, that's our guy from Hawaii, Luke. Right? Yes. Bengals or Rams? Tell me you're not cheering for the fuckboy Rams. I don't care. I really don't care, Luke. Don't Dude, care. the Rams are owned by Stan Kroenke. Okay who is one of the worst owners in all of sports and has run the great Arsenal franchise into the fucking ground. Arsenal was one of the great teams of, and this, I guess is still top eight-ish or something. Is one the, of the great for teams. your argument to F this team European soccer? Because if it is, Luke, we could just keep going. All right, we could just... uh, Dude, well, here's my point. If a guy is an owner in mean, sports... We're on, men if a guy here, is if a, guy is a, if a guy is an owner in sports, really? hold on, hold on. If a guy is an owner in sports and his first bit is to ruin a once great franchise and his other one is to take the Rams out of St. Louis so he could build a fucking taxpayer-funded stadium in L.A. for a team that the city doesn't even really want, yeah, dude, you got to have a little character and cheer for the fucking Bengals, I feel like. That's Joe Burrow, right? That's the guy who smokes yes. weed? That, yeah. yeah. yeah we'll, I'll cheer for that guy. We'll cheer for Joe Burrow, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, just, just, in. To, just to shut up those stupid European soccer bosses, Luke, okay? But, dude, it's not even about that. You could ignore everything he did there and just talk about him as an owner in the NFL. He's a fucking terrible owner, dude. Luke, like, how come would, you're not boycotting the Beijing Olympics due to uh, human treatment? I am. I haven't watched one second of it. I refuse oh. to watch it. Okay. And I, and the next World Cup, too, in, in, in Qatar. I'm not watching that shit. Fuck that. You, um, you used to live in Qatar. Yeah, it's not the place itself. It's the the government basically had a bunch of people killed in order to make stadiums for um, the okay. tournament. It's I really mean, we're bad. talking about you know potential dock options. What about BC and DC, LT and CT? Yeah, dude, you're you're a hoe when it comes to this. How about you've been how invited about to come down Cutter? several times, and every time you have some cockamamie story about why you can't do it. How about MK and Cutter, Luke? All right. <laughs> How about that, Doc? Uh, All right. How about you go there and get your head cut her off, that motherfucker? How about that? Do that. All right. All right. Uh, with that in mind, it's time for your shit, good sir. Let's, let's... <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. We uh, scour the globe for the uh, highs and lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the in-between of combat sports and beyond. This is Luke's first time doing this in, like, three weeks. Have you seen this shit? Not this shit. I'm going to smoke my vape while I do this. By the way, there's no weed in this. It's just a regular old... Uh, lung wow, this is such a dad guy flex. Like, hold on, guys, I got a new convertible here. You know, that's, that's, this <laughs> what's up, fellow kids? All right, there we go. All right, yeah. Uh, Luke, we start. How UFC... do you do, fellow kids? Get it right, fuckface. Yeah. Uh, UFC fight night in Las Vegas. How about middleweight cheaty bang Joe Cooney with the 16 second debut, Luke, and KO of Mark Andre Burial? I didn't understand the uh, the leg kick there. I didn't set it up, and you did it 
in punching range against a guy this good. That's just no, yeah. So is that pronounced Enjakuni? Well. Jakuni, I'm all over Enjuk it. Oh, so the way they say it on the broadcast, so again, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong too, but the way they say it on the broadcast is Enjakawani. Enjakawani, okay, okay. I like the nickname Bang, Luke. All right, yeah, Dwayne awesome. Bang Ludwig, I like that yeah. shit, okay? Yeah, it's a great nickname. All right, Luke, also light heavyweight Jailton Almeida showed off his dance moves following his first-round stoppage of Danilio Marks. How, how about this, Luke? This guy's going after it, man. Bro, this guy is a super athlete too. I mean, this guy's like, I want. This is this is me bang, walking bro. to this is me walking to the commode when MK is over. Look, I think this guy should be nicknamed Bang. Look at this, right? Yeah, yeah again, that's me walking to go take a dump when BC has finally stopped talking. Yeah, all right, all right. Hey, could uh, they Luke, turn uh, on the fire? Oh, my fire alarms are going uh, on because why would my family ever do anything to protect the sanctity of this broadcast? Luke, hey, I, think, means, I think the vape set it off, Luke, okay? I doubt the vape set it off. All, right, I vape know, all day yesterday. This is like, uh, yeah. I mean, it, this is pretty ironic, don't you think? No, they're cooking out there. That's what they're doing. Um, okay, Luke. Uh, middleweight Brian Battle uh, was was talking with Michael See? Bisping following this is his fun. This is a fun day. I'm having Trey a fun Sean time. Gore, that noise. <laughs> Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world, Luke? <laughs> I'm having yeah. a fun time. I'm glad that they're, they keep cooking out there. Let's go to the videotape. How much did the eye bother you? <laughs> Man, who needs to ask? <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, you know, I can still see through it. You know, it's a little swollen. Hopefully it'll get me a couple free drinks tonight. You know what I'm saying? But uh, no, nah, nothing, nothing crazy. Look, that was a good one. That was a good one. That was a decent joke. Bisping has a sense of humor. Uh, it's good to see. That was good. Um, Battle's a savage, by the way. He came from the uh, Contender series. I saw his uh, episode that time. Um, he goes after. Or was he from Ultimate Fighter? Which one was it, Luke? Uh, he two? was the Ultimate Fighter. He actually had his trophy. I guess it was a point of contention. I did not watch a single second of the Ultimate yeah, Fighter. Yeah, he was so from Tough. My bad. I guess he it was a single. I guess he wanted to show that like he was the actual uh, Tough champ. Um, All right, Luke, let's go to the post-fight press conference. Here's Sean Strickland um, talking to, to John Morgan of Blue Shirt fame. I saw this. By the way, you only fat shame people you care about. If you ever want to work out, bro, you let me know. Where do you live at? Are you a Vegas man? Are you a Vegas guy? I'm a Vegas guy. Bro, you come train me. I'm going to help you out, dude. Dude, get to drink beer afterwards? Yeah, dude. Yeah, you're going to make your dick at least two inches bigger, bro. I promise you. Every time I make weight, dude, my dick is at least one inch bigger, and I got a little dick. So, you know, I take every inch I get. You're going to appreciate me for it. Very tempting. Luke, that's probably like the fifth weirdest interview he's had this week. I mean, uh, did you see him talking about the way Oscar Willis dresses? And, uh, dude, why are people going even, after that, That's not even the weirdest thing he said for this post-fight scrum. Later, he was like, you know, I like McMaynard. I have a good relationship. He's like, I'm a company man. I will suck that D. You just let <laughs> me know. And I'm like, okay. All Andy right. King. Andy King, baby. Uh, Luke, um... Why are people going after John Morgan lately? Like, you know, he left it off and, and no one wants to be in that spot. But like people are John Jones in him lately, Luke. Listen, man, there's just no if you want to be MMA media, fighters are going to take shots at you. There's just nothing else you can do. about. I it. mean, it it, it's it payback for all the shit you say on this podcast about them, Luke. But motherfucker, you're the one who is racking up the enemies. I'm actually the one who's like mending fences. Uh, Luke, uh, speaking of bang featherweights, Julian Arosa and Steven Patterson, they banged Luke. They gave us a, a batshit war, and it was great. Was you remember great. this? Yeah, this was a absolute. Uh, re 
you know, it was, it, here's what I liked about it. Arosa was probably the better fighter, but he had a kind of a fatal flaw that Peterson found, and it gave him total life, and then it kind of evened the fight out, and then it just became basically like, you know, who wanted it more? And I, I, you could have gone either way, although I thought Arosa had done the better work, but Jesus Christ, this ended up being a, a great fight, much better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, Caveman FC, main event worthy, no question about it. Uh, Luke, let's catch up with... Other uh, two-sport athletes beyond Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson. Let's go with first uh, boxer Canelo Alvarez at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am million-dollar hole-in-one event. Here's a par-3 tee-off from Big Red. Now, I know nothing about golf. How good of a golfer is he? Oh, shit! So he came inches from from winning a million dollars with the hole-in-one on that hole, Luke. And right before he hit it, like seconds before Jim Nance was interviewing him like in front of the whole crowd. And he was like, you know, how much do you play Canelo? Canelo goes four hours a day. And Nance is like, oh yeah, right. Like, come on, don't you box? He's like, yes, but boxing training five hours a day, golf four hours a day. Like wow. Canelo is like, no, bro, I'm coming. I'm coming on on the Dude, links, he, okay? I mean, I, don't, I know nothing about golf to say if he looks good or not, but he seems to be the genuine article, man. It's pretty impressive. Yep. You think uh, him and MJ should golf together, right? He's, are his eyes going to come back as jaundiced from years of uh, alcohol abuse? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, other two-sport athletes this weekend, Luke. Uh, former cruiserweight champion, now heavyweight champion, Alexander Usyk suited up for the Ukrainian second-tier soccer team, FC Policia. And uh, big number 17 there, Luke. Got a, got a nice pass in front of the goal. Jesus. Let's check out his skills there. That's a fucking huge soccer player. Yeah, yeah, six, six, four and a half. Uh, yeah, two hundred, two hundred, two hundo plus. Well, Let's they go got him. They got him. So I, I can't quite tell what position he's playing here, but he's like a forward. Here's off the the side throw, and they set him up here, Luke. Right here, look at give, give me, give me. The, oh, oh God, yeah. God damn it, Usyk. You know, Luke, he may have to stick to his day job, but this next guy, Luke, YouTuber turned boxer turned promoter, Jake Paul. At MSG to promote Serrano and and Katie Taylor, and from way downtown, Luke, bang! Wow, wow, Luke, wow! The Rifleman. I mean, it's a little much with a celebration. But, I mean, okay. I mean, that's so much better than Conor McGregor's three at at MSG. Believe it that. is better. Well, that's not saying much. I mean, that's not saying much. But yes, it is better. Uh, Francis Ngannou uh, met Shaq, Luke, not not Shaq Majori, the real Shaq. And look at the ease that he's handling the, the diesel. Wow, dude. Yeah, Francis is a mutant. He's the strongest motherfucker on earth. I'm convinced of this. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, just, yeah, he's yeah. just he's just insane, dude. Th- think about it. How many people have ever done that to Shaquille O'Neal? Like he was actually kind of humbled right there. Yeah, he just high crotch lifts him there. Uh and not even like with a proper high crotch technique either. He didn't really get his elbow fully. I mean, imagine you're Shaq. You're you know you're seven one and jacked, and at your physical peak, you're a freak athlete like pro sports rarely has ever seen in the history of life. And you've got a just a a hammer down there, Luke. And you've just spent your life just physically dominating people. Yeah. And then and then Big Frank walks up. Yeah, he's probably got an eel in his pants, to borrow uh, from Joe Rogan there. Uh, let me ask you this, though. How much do you think Shaq weighs? Like 350, 380? Oh, God. Even though he's he's muscular, yeah, definitely. three 350, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's three, just 350. He picked up like that. nothing, you know? Yeah. All right. 
Well, Luke, speaking of hoops legends, I don't know if you saw this video making the rounds. They found middle school footage of LeBron James. Um, Luke, he was just as dominant back then as he is today. Check this out. Fuck them kids. Bah, eat shit. <laughs> Luke, you got to admit, when you're at, like, family reunion and there's a hoop and there's, like, uncles and cousins and, you know, aunts playing, you turn into Magic Johnson and you are going, like, around the back and just clowning people like it's and one, you know? Yeah, I've been trying to teach my daughter how to dribble. I steal the ball from her, like, you know, who, who's one of the all-time leader in steals in the NBA? I don't, I don't even John know who Stockton. The, Stockton, yeah. I, I don't quite have his insane anti-vaccine views, but I, I'll, I'll take his, uh, I'll, I'll take his uh, stealing skills when it comes to three-year-olds. Look, they're like season ticket holder, no more. All right, you know, okay, uh, Luke. There, we have done too much real sports. Let's get drunk people involved. Luke, you ever been at a bar and you just go full on coyote ugly like this guy? Look, <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh shit. There went all the proper 12. Oh, boy. Is that a tattoo or is that chest hair, Luke? I can't tell. But he's, I don't uh, know. Hopefully he's he died. down and he's not coming back. All right, back to the cage. LFA 23. Luke, sometimes you're the hammer and sometimes you're Logan Nail who needed just seconds to get this TKO in round one. That's some brutal shit, Luke. Yeah, dude. Regional MMA produces. I mean, you can see the stuff in the UFC, but regional MMA, it's like this is just how shit goes every other fight. The guy's name is Logan Nail. Do you think he'd be abhorred by my toenail situation, Luke? I mean, to be fair, you know? If he's Logan Nail, are you diseased Nail? <laughs> Jaundice Nail, yeah, I guess. Are you I fungus guess. Nail? All right. Hey, Luke, let's play your favorite game in the world's Rate That Tat. MMA edition, we start with Marlon Chito Vera going all head scorpo. Now, Marlon has good tattoos. Look, you into wow. that head scorpion? Wow, that's aggressive. I got to say, that's not for me. That is an, a, a Cheeto is a tough bastard boy. Let me tell you, that is. I mean, his tats already said something. That says something, Luke. That says that, you know, I, that says I could I could rape you in jail, Luke. That's what it says. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, that's a strong, so, I mean, that is a, uh, that's a no bullshit message on that one. All right, let's go to the champ again. Davison Figueredo, Luke, I must have got DM'd about 50 times when you were on vacation. People wanting your take on this yeah. Mr. Hebos looking tattoo of the championship plate. Um, it's busted. It's pretty busted, unfortunately. I kind of like um, it. Maybe I like this Brazilian style, Luke. Maybe that, maybe that's my here's the here's the problem. If you look at, for example, I mean, it's just it's not clean work um at all. The problem is, for example, the shading is inconsistent. The The line work is not like the U and the F and the C don't have clean line work. And more to the point, look at something like the the tip of the green part at sort of the top of the tattoo. It's wider in terms of the black underneath than the blue part. So the thing is, well, look, the, the tip is the normally tattoo. wider, to be fair. BC, you don't always have to make terrible jokes. You can choose to make them on occasion. And therefore limit the impact that they have on the show. Well, one yeah, day I'll listen. teach you the the first rule of improv, Luke. One day. Yeah, right? it's not. It's just not. It's not great. It's not great. The significance is extraordinary, <laughs> yeah. but it's not great. Luke, it, it's been a long time since I turned off your pilot light during this segment, Luke. It's, it's happy to know it's still possible. Hey, let's, uh, Luke. Speaking of you, I found the perfect birthday cake. What's your birthday again, Luke? August fifth. August fifth. You'll be looking at this, Luke. <laughs> 
That'd be the best cake I got in years. Don't threaten me with a good time, asshole. Yeah, ICP for life, Luke. Okay. All right. Uh, We talked about the NFL playoffs. Luke, apparently they were the best of all time. I I just didn't watch a ton of it. Um, But these fans did. What do you think about this Bengals fans beer beard celebrating all the way to the Super Bowl, Luke? Yeah, this is uh, excellent. Uh, Not just because he did the beard with the six beers, which is, by the way, it's good that, you know, five of his friends can all join him. (laughs) <laughs> but he did the face paint correctly, like in conjunction with it. He didn't mail in the look. The whole look is done correctly. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, is there any chance that the people that paint their face for NFL games and have season tickets, like you could trust them to babysit in a in a pinch? No. If you paint your face like that and you go to an NFL game, it's a guarantee there's a tax lien on one of your properties. <laughs> All right, I guess that's better than, than sex offender, Luke. All right, let's keep it going. Luke, tough L's up in Buffalo uh, in the playoffs. Playoffs. And also for this couple, Luke. Please let them buy the farm. Please let them buy the farm. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, God. Wow. You almost had a toss salad there, Luke. Wow. All right. Um, hey, Luke, Steelers fans celebrated Big Ben's retirement uh, with, with this little skirmish. How about this for a finishing move? Why'd you take the hat off? Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh God. I like how the other person just kind of like like does it like uh, like your big sister, like you know, pushing you in the face. Yeah, but Palomalu's not done taking L's, Luke. He's getting oh god, he's getting you know, you know, Troy cut his hair and has just fallen off since then. <laughs> Palomalu really he used to be such a beast on the field and now he's just a decrepit white guy. Yeah, Luke, uh, NFL fans don't care. They'll do fan-on-fan violence. Let's keep it going here, Luke. Let me ask you, why would you ever go to an NFL game? I mean, I just couldn't even imagine what could compel you to want to go to one of those fucking things. Uh, Well, let's go to the L.A. Rams crowd, Luke, okay? Oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, let's go. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God, that Titans fan, Luke. That that Titans fan was, like, planking down those fuck. Oh, 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 go go full screen. We got to go full screen. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's break down this this meeting of the Mensa minds here. This is is me after my my mentions after I tweet something totally innocuous. (laughs) It's not over here, though. There's some Ram on Ram. Oh, he just steps on the head. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, dude, why would you go to an NFL game? I just could not imagine <laughs> that's, that's, the reason. That footage says it all, Luke. All right, hey, let's go to the gym. I haven't seen a good weightlifting fail in a while, Luke. I love those. Yeah. Let's see Use some. this let's, guy let's, while Let's see he, some. While Mop. he kissed oh. the, the ground, Luke. Wow. You know what? Credit to this guy for actually uploading it. I actually commend him. Not a great job in catching. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure oh. what. It, it looked like for a second. The first time I saw it, I was like, is he trying to catch it in, in the snatch? He's trying to clean, and he's got the straps on. He's just not giving himself a lot of. Uh, gas no, that was a snatch. It was a snatch because he tries to go behind the head, and his hands are way too close together. Like, what the fuck? And you got straps on. Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Um, Gaff wanted to know if that's Jimmy Crute of UFC fame. No, Jimmy Crute's strong as an ox. This dude is just some random donk in his garage. How is he not knocked out from look, that? Look at the look, look at the look, look, look. Oh. Yeah, look. Well, because he's got you know a cranium the size of the of uh, the, the, the the Great Wall of China. Well, look. Keep, keep hold on, hold on. Keep playing it. Keep playing it. Watch when he closes it up. Mouth breathing into the phone. Look at him. <laughs> I mean, look. He's concussed. Let's be fair. All right. Just oh. 
Well, Luke, that wasn't the grossest uh, white guy move this week from somebody hopefully not concussed. Let's go to the massage table. Stipe Miocic, the former champion, posting this, Luke. He was getting a nude massage, and then, like, you walking through first class on the way to coach, he just crop-tusted this fella, Luke. I don't know why we're watching this. I mean, that is... That is... uh... I mean, who posts that, Luke? Can we just move to the next slide? (laughs) I mean, there's proof, Luke. Steve tapped. Yes, he did. Wow. Okay, Luke. Hey, T-shirt of the week time, Luke. I call this guy the OG of BDE. I mean, this guy's a hero (laughs) to many, including myself and you and... uh... I want I want him at every party I'm ever at for the rest of my life. I mean, he's been gone for a while, but Luke Big Dick is back in town, and he's he's just late. Look, you think he's a snowbird, and when he gets back, you know, to Florida in the winter, it's like okay, it's you know, Big Dick's here, right? He's, I got a uh, Who who was it? Nick Foles, Big Dick Nick. This is Nick Foles in like 40 years, just walking around town. Whew. But it's not the weirdest T-shirt this week, Luke. That would go to this young fella on the left. I don't know where parenting has taken us. All right. Well, that's a bit much for a young man to be wearing. Um, or a young right. woman. I don't even really know what the situation is here. But, that's, <laughs> you know, there's a there, there's a parenting learning lesson here that needs to happen, I think. All right, Luke. White trash move of the week goes to this Jenga playing hero. Check this out. We're at the wedding. Yeah. You know, I would like to hate on this man. I would like to hate on this man a lot, and I was about to, but I got to admit. <laughs> I got to admit, that's pretty slick. I got to admit, that's pretty fucking slick. I mean, this guy had everything you would want to hate about him. Worst haircut, dressed like the absolute worst, acting like the absolute worst. And that was the best. That was yeah, honestly the all, best. Where I come from, this guy is a hero, Luke. There's no question Dude, about it. Dude, this is your town mayor. Just admit it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Luke, it's knockout of the week time. Uh, you can now call this kid Luca Brazzi because uh, <laughs> after meeting this eel, he uh, sleeps with the fishes, Luke. Yeah, I don't understand these people. Um, uh, he's I'm not definitely getting up, Jim. Uh, he's not getting up. So the eel electrocuted him? Is that the idea? What happened? I don't know if it's an eel. I just that was the first thing that came to my head. This is a bad this KO one, Luke. This is this is not, you know, no no count him. needed. You know, here's the thing. If you try to fuck with animals and then you fall into the water, I think it should just be you have to, you just drown. Like that's just goodbye. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. Well, that's the biggest one-shot KO of the week. Uh, here's an attempt at an interesting uh, kick here, Luke. Let's go to the bathroom. There's nothing like drunk chicks, Luke. Yeah, dude. They should try one of these kicks in the UFC. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe they haven't. I mean, she, but by the way, she almost got both of them. I just want to point that out. Yeah. She yeah. almost took out two there. Bah. Luke, you always see videos uh, with suspect karate techniques on uh, McDojo Life's feed. Uh, here's what they got this time. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I just, what are we doing? I mean, 
We're running over children <laughs> for training. Is that what we're doing? Karate for defense purposes only. Luke, okay? Yeah. Dude, they've gone from wax off, wax on to, yo, let me just run over you with my motorcycle. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi, what will this teach me? Shut the fuck up, Danielson. <laughs> Luke, it wouldn't be a great have you seen this shit without some elder abuse. So let's go to uh, Grandma taking, uh, taking the youngin for a tour of the old firehouse, Luke. And just buys the farm. Dude, you would be surprised. You know what gets most young and old people alike, as this uh, video attests to? What? Inertia. Inertia just kills them, right? Yeah. Because they don't pick their feet up. They just keep moving in the same direction, and then they end up doing I can't tell you how many times my daughter just not looking where she's going, and then the inertia carrying her forward. Then <clears throat> she ends up tripping over like half a million things that she left on the floor. Well, hopefully, Luke, when she goes out in the snow this winter, she doesn't trip over this. Well, it's nice that you made that kind of joke about my two-year-old daughter. It really is an important thing that you did there. Yeah, one of the worst segues we've had, Luke. Okay, that was a really, show. really bad one, I think, yeah. you just did there. I think we should just yeah. move. Although, it's funny, that the picture, I understand the joke. It's a cock with some balls. I, I get that. but I mean, you know, it, tra you know, no. It was a transition, Luke. All right. It, yeah, you know, I think, was, I think, I think, I think we just keep transitioning. Is what I would say. Just keep doing it. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Well, Luke, we'll close with this. Uh, this is where uh, hopefully you'll find yourself shortly after the show ends. Someone on the commode. Oh God, <laughs> dude! I didn't know they had pictures and video of heaven. Yeah, that's why uh, is there a random Obama poster in the back? <laughs> Shout out to Cypress Hill on Instagram, which has nothing but these videos over and over again. And, uh, you know, people say this show. is a, a waste of marijuana, and I challenge that very much. This is an excellent use of marijuana, actually. Well, Luke, uh, poor transitions or not, that's the shit of the week. There you go. Very good, BC. Uh, before we get to our Rogan odds and ends, you want to give us your other odds and ends that you pulled with some of your interviews that you've done. Yeah, BC. look, here's the deal. Does anybody want us talking about fight or pay every episode for a half hour? No. But I do have an, you know, and I, and I get what you said earlier about, you know, well, what do you want me to say? This is what I'm always going to say. You know, they deserve better, but it's up to them to take that ball and run with it. And I agree. But let me throw the two different clips I had. So I've got some interviews that are either out or still coming out this week on youtube.com slash morning combat uh robert whitaker Derek lewis and also a very good one with anthony pettis who's who's you know promoting his first card this weekend on ufc fight pass or uh and great chat anyway luke you know i asked uh i asked them about fighter pay Here, here's two of their responses and i just want to kind of ask you a point question about this let's go to it gaff Uh, the champ in your division is in Ganu still. He wrestles, as you mentioned. He keeps the belt. But look, he's in a lot of um, other kind of headlines, labor disputes, contracts, all that. I, I want to give you your chance to react to it, but I'm not trying to trap you. I understand you can say what you can say, what's comfortable for you and your stance. But when you watch Francis take this stand, are you cheering for him? Uh, do you think it's too risky? What, what do you think about this? Um, I don't care. Um, I don't know what his contract situation is. I don't know um, what's going on but behind closed doors and everything with his camp. And so I really don't, don't know. 
that's Derek Lewis and also uh, Robert Whitaker. He wanted zero thing. part of that. Uh, let's see if Robert Whitaker takes the uh, the opportunity or or the bait. However, you look at this, which is interesting. You don't make a lot of headlines talking trash, not your style. You don't make a lot of headlines complaining, but when you see a contemporary, an elite champion in Francis Ngannou and the the walk he's going through publicly for fighters' rights, how do you respond when you watch that? Mate, <laughs> that, is, that, that, that is a tricky question. That is a tricky question because, yeah, that is, that's... um. What do I even say? It's it's such a that's that that that's a loaded question. It's yeah, very loaded, very loaded. Yeah, I mean, may, way more loaded than the question about nipples. To be fair, <laughs> it was wrapped a little yeah. tighter too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, honestly, I I don't have too much information on the on the whole matter at all. I uh, I've just been focusing on myself, focusing on the training, focusing on getting ready for the fight because the fight's only a week and a bit away, and um. And, and and I don't really keep myself up to date with the news and everything like that anyway. I kind of just hunker down in the room, in the fort, and just uh, go along my way. So not really – um, I mean, yeah. are, you, are you saying, you know, you're happy with, with what you've accomplished and, and the, the wage you're earning and, your you know, your battle is yours? Is that what is that how you sort of look at it? That's – oh, mate. I mean, we can go back to nipples. I didn't want to take you down this long, dark alley <laughs> if you don't want to be there. Yeah. But uh, – Look for more on Israel Adesanya's right nipple. You can check that out at youtube.com slash morning combat. So why do I put, why do I throw that out there, Luke? Because like journalists asking fighters about it isn't going to go away, but like journalists talking about it is really the ceiling of our responsibility. So right. it was fun. I, I saw the response to me asking those questions in, in a quick look at the comments to be completely polarizing of people saying, damn, those fighters have no idea how to help themselves. They completely just bricked and, and, and froze when asked about it and acted dumb. And then you get the other half of, you know, why is BC, you know, Helwaniing this as or, or as it may be? Um, dude, dude, what fans, is the responsibility? I mean, we're, 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 of, here's of the, the thing. Here's the thing. Like your questions were uh, in terms of like how justified were they utterly justified? There's a couple things I think to keep in mind. Right, you're absolutely right. Like, dude, it's not the media's job to file a lawsuit for the fighters for pay. It's not the job of us to go to the Hill and lobby for the Ali Act. It's not our job to, you know, whip up support for a union and vote. That's that's up to them. We can't take that path for them at whatever one they want to take. It's up to them. I don't know what the right answer is. They have to decide for themselves. Our job is to talk about it, and as long as it's a relevant issue, which it will be for the foreseeable future, we will. However, at some point, you know, while the fans don't, the fans don't have the right to say because we don't like a question, you should take it out. But you also have to recognize at some point you may not be spending your time most valuably going to those questions with every single fighter, including even elite ones, because a lot of them are going to be in a position where they don't want to change anything for you know fear of changing how they're paid and security and everything else. Um, so you just kind of have to ask yourself: Is it worth it every time? But is it a fair question? It's Totally fair. I just, well, you know, I certainly believe it's fair. Um, but I also understand the relationship between the two. It's why, like, you know, media and fighters sh should be cordial, but not, you know, friends or best Buddies, friends or whatever, right, because right. it's our job to create clicks. That's a current headline right now. But I just wonder what their role right now, given that opportunity, whether it's interviewing with me or whoever, what their role should be using that platform. Because, look, Luke, if there was, a, you know, something going on at Showtime with a, 
big name person, we wouldn't want to probably, or be, a, you know, it wouldn't be a good look to air that out publicly in, de in debate. That's so I get, you're not going to just take that mic and go, yeah, you know what? <laughs> F Dana and Ganu's right. But you do have an opportunity to say something. Yeah. However you want to use you're the really, value Unless you're that. really committed to the cause in the way that Nganu has made himself, and that's a choice that he made. Here, This is the reason why a lot of fighters don't. They don't because they feel like they're going to get themselves in trouble if they do. They feel like they're going to um, create issues with the matchmakers, especially like right now where he's on the cusp of a title shot. Does he really want to rock the boat in one of these scenarios? I, I grant that he's already kind of at the, at the precipice of having some leverage, but a lot of these guys... It really is the way that they are. They, 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 here's the thing. Is John Jones, for example, poor? He's not there we go. There poor. we go, Luke. We're back to you. You're back. Yeah, in I don't show. know what happened. Uh, he's not poor by any stretch of the imagination. The argument would be he just didn't get paid what he was supposed to, but he's not poor. So I think a lot of these guys, these elite guys like Robert Whitaker, they're not making bad money relative to the rest of the population. They're going to be in the top 1% in terms of overall earnings. And I think a lot of them are like, best leave well enough alone. For a guy like Francis Ngannou, who's got a different sensibility and a different perspective, that's not enough for him. But I can understand how fighters arrive in both perspectives. I mean, the, the difference between if there was a, something going on in this, you know, in our own companies, and we it just wouldn't be good PR to talk about it, is this it affects them so much. So right. it's like... I by the way, myself, people have asked, like, what about you guys? Well, first of all, me and BC are employees. We have protections if we want, number one. That, that the fighters don't. And number two, BC and I know exactly what we make. We've told each other and we've used it as a way to make sure that we get maximum amount of money. Like I, BC knows what my paychecks look like and for the most part, vice versa. And that really helped both of us get a sense of how much we should ask for and how much we should get. So like, do I we do that? If By the way, if any other media member wants to know what I make, I'm happy to tell them. Like, you should know those things. I just... um. I just can't see those responses being the best move. There's got to be a middle ground where you don't meddle and don't get yourself in trouble, but you also stand up firm for your profession and, and what is going on right now. And I mean, would it kill them? I mean, does what's the blowback for saying, you know what? This is a brave move by Francis. He's walking his own path, but we all understand it and we all support him. Is that maybe, maybe, maybe there is, or there isn't I mean, it's for something that innocuous, but dude, the UFC, you know, and Dana, like these guys, you know, it's amazing that they're very pro, um, oh, we're big free speech guys, but they're not. They don't like media reports about things they do critically, and they're very, very aggressive either about, in certain cases, trying to um, undercut those reports or to make sure those reports like that never happen. Um, and they lean on fighters to, you know, uh, carry the companies or uh, repeat their talking points or whatever. So... I understand why they might feel, and also we talked about it before. A guy like Robert Whitaker, dude, you do have you have to fight fucking Adesanya in a week, oh, whatever yeah, the money. I mean, you got to yeah. focus, man. You got he did the right thing, I think. And it's not me trying to trap him to say an accidental. I just think as long as that's still going to be a, a headline, it's our job to ask it, and they can take it wherever they want. It's just interesting. I think the responsibility of both sides, how far you should go, but you know, whatever. It's it's news. It. It'll be here and gone tomorrow if nothing happens, Luke. So well, I'm definitely glad that you pitched people watching your interviews on questions no one wanted to answer. <laughs> There's others that they did answer, I swear. Okay, yeah. I mean, Derek Lewis is it's a wild, it's a wild chat as you as you could expect. Okay, Luke, yeah. you know. 
Let's end the show here, and then we don't have to say necessarily a whole lot about it, uh, but it is worth at least bringing up that UFC commentator, certainly he is much more than that. Um, Joe Rogan has been embroiled in controversy starting at some point on the weekend. I'm not sure exactly when I saw it, but it, it basically follows along. Well, it's more than this, but the current controversy follows along two two lines. One, there was a series of episodes, I think 20 or so, where he had used the N-word. Um, you could decide for yourself whether the context of that is. He wasn't in any way calling someone that, but you know, there's a debate about whether or not um, those kinds of using that as appropriate or not, you can decide for yourself. And then the other one was a little bit less ambiguous, which he did apologize for. Actually, a lot less ambiguous. Not ambiguous at all. When he made a joke about Planet of the Apes being in a black Philly neighborhood. That's sort of like just straight up racist, which he acknowledged as much and, and had apologized for. But there's a larger controversy about what Spotify might do. There was a uh, uh, a letter written last night from Spotify's CEO to the employees, basically doubling down that they're not going to remove him. You could never imagine Dana White under these scenarios, nor, nor is anyone, I think, in the MMA space at all advocating for it. I'm just pointing out that, you know, I don't think this will have any effect on his UFC position, BC. But is there anything more to the story that you wanted to say? I think Tukey's got something to say about this. She's watching. Uh, could you guess what movie? I could tell you what scene she's sh- shouting. Can you guess what movie she's watching? Uh, maybe Texas Chainsaw Massacre based on her close, reaction. Luke. Close, close. No, it's in Canto. It's in Canto. And it's the opening scene during La Familia Madrigal. What is she, she's like, like, I'm at 48 watches. I just need one more to be a... <laughs> Isn't that at what the, Malcolm Gladwell said about Luke? At the, yeah, at the uh, 10,000 so. hours, yes. She, should be, she could write in Canto at this point. And at the end of the first song, the, the, the La Familia Madrigal song, there, she sings a bunch of stuff. And then the kids go, what about Mirabelle? And then she's shouting that part. Uh, Luke, in all seriousness, it's it's a loaded topic. It's an, it's an interesting one because we all we all fear the extent of what cancel culture becomes. We all also don't. It's tough. You don't want to. You know, the, the video is pretty damning, right? And it's like, how much can you crit- How much can you hold against people for for past sins done? And you know, in yeah. certain senses, like a Bill Cosby situation, I guess you know you're not getting a lot of outrage in that regard, or 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 anything else related to that. But in this case, it's like, what should your reaction be? You shouldn't well, be, let me ask you. Let me, you so shouldn't this, be this, fired this, or yanked, in my opinion, no, by no, no, any no. circumstance. And I, I think I fear a little bit more where that can go if it gets too yeah. aggressive. The, the, let me, the, let, me the say a couple, let me say a couple things. I, I don't in any way know Joe Rogan like as a friend. Um, we've texted back and forth. As you know, I had, I had the opportunity to be a guest one time on his show. We talked there. I found him completely pleasant, uh, fun, frankly, to be around. He put me at ease because I was very nervous. And um, I really enjoyed the opportunity I had to do that. So that I would say that you know whatever extent I've had with him has been utterly phenomenal, actually. Um, I actually feel like, I, you know, I don't think the Spotify CEO is going to take anything down. And I have not noticed anyone in MMA suggesting as much, nor would I advocate for it. In fact, what I would argue is, Taking down Joe Rogan's show, if it ever came to that, if the Spotify CEO ever bent to that pressure, that would be very, very bad. Very, yeah. very bad. Yeah. For two reasons, two, more than two reasons, two big reasons. One, for a tech oligarch to bend to what is officially now White House pressure because the government has gotten involved about their, uh, uh, you know, their version of um, COVID concerns and what Joe Rogan may or may not be saying. 
when the state and the corporations are aligned together, you get really, really bad things. And the flow of information is important in society. And I would argue that if you take down his podcast because for reasons you think are exist there, you are not going to get rid of his audience, but you are going to radicalize every one of them into never, ever trusting any mainstream media organ or major corporation that has yes. any say over the flow of information ever again. And you, they might be right to be skeptical, uh, that it would be a disaster. More to the point, on top of it, is what I would say is, if you want to convince Joe Rogan's audience to think differently than you would, than they have been or how you presume them to think, you cannot take Joe's show away and think you've won the argument. You haven't even had an argument. If you want to convince them, that's what you have to do. You have to convince them, not take away the Joe Rogan podcast and then expect that all of these ideas that you hold sacred will all of a sudden just be bought wholesale. The reason why Joe Rogan is as popular as he is is I would argue, one, he has been a very strong advocate for sharing perspectives that do not get put in mainstream media. Not all the time ones I agree with. I don't agree with hardly anything he said about COVID or any of the guests he's had about COVID. But at the same time, I can recognize that, for example, people that I like politically, Bernie Sanders, Kyle Kalinske, you know where you don't see them? You don't see them on CNN. You don't see them on MSNBC. You see them on YouTube, and a guy like Joe Rogan has done a lot to signal boost them. These are not possible without the kind of work he has done. So, uh, in addition to just radicalizing young his young viewers, all of them, in addition to creating distrust with tech uh, monopolies and corporate media, and to, to, to say nothing of the fact of how dangerous it would be to say that they could control the flows of information, it would be a horrific idea to take it down. What I will say, though, BC, and I do think it needs to be said, and if Joe ever asked me to tell him this face-to-face, I would say it because I don't have any malice. Joe Rogan's podcast is eminently successful for very good reasons because not only do people trust him for a lot of ways, but on top of that, I think he has been, for a lot of people, a lot of young men in particular, of the kind of conduit to interesting and broader ideas in the public, whether it's about, by the way, space exploration or in certain cases even before the pandemic, infectious diseases, Native American history. He has on Palestinian um, uh, uh, authors that are people who have written about, about Palestinian causes who I value greatly. You don't see any of that stuff in corporate media, and people know that they can trust him as a place to get this information that would otherwise not be available. That is extremely important and extremely valuable. But no podcast, including MK, is perfect, and it's hard to hear criticisms. If I had one criticism, because no show is perfect, and I would say this to Joe, what I would say is what makes him interesting is his creative, um, the creative possibilities that he pursues. He has so many different interests, from hunting to, of course, MMA, but this huge, vast array of things. Let me finish this point. This vast array in between. The argument that I would make is at times I don't feel like he's had enough guest curation at the front end, to, to it, by the way, which would solve some of his own problems. Here's what I mean. It's not about left or right. It's about quality conversations. Someone like Stefan Molyneux sh- should not have been on his show multiple times. Alex Berenson, who might be the wrongest man on the internet in terms of anything COVID, has been on his show multiple times. It's not the, co- the single conversation or trying to have a conversation with these folks that I mind, it's bringing back low quality, whether whatever perspective you want to bring. These are not interesting people. They do not have smart things to say. In the case of Berenson, routinely wrong, matter-of-factly 
about any number of things. Yeah, I don't know. I th- to, I think me, it's, to me, it's to me, it's to me, it's last last sentence. It's not the pursuit. It's a slight bit of the over pursuit that I think you could correct. And it's not the biggest portion of his audience, but it's one that would make a big difference. Okay, I get what you're saying, but he doesn't want to be a homogenized show that that serves everyone. Like, can't we just have voices? I think that's the real, right. the but, real, but, the, but, you know, people can be wrong, and I get that. That that's it's right. It's it. There's it's a loaded weapon when people are spewing potentially false, try you know, bad information. I get that, but I also believe in people ha- can be you know have the right to be wrong, <laughs> and, and yes, also, and I I don't want to go away like it's abhorrent what he said. I just I look at this more as a as a debate of how much can you retroactively penalize people for for well doing, that's so that's the other part for too. doing I would shit just that's say, not illegal but that's not yes. cool like it'll it it could and, and maybe should affect him moving forward in terms of sponsors that want to work with him or whatever and, that, and it is what it is but but, but, but here's the I, thing i'm not asking i don't think I, I, no rational person can ask joe to not do a show that he wants to do right i'm not even saying don't book some of these guys but what i am saying is if you have them on multiple times you are now making a claim, at least implicitly, about the kind of value of information they provide, and you're going back to that well a number of times. I think that has been something of a mistake. He's even indicated, by the way, without naming names, like, for example, like how many times did Dave Rubin have to be on that show before you realize, and I think Joe did, having this conversation with him about Amazon versus the post office, I mean, the guy is a fucking idiot. He doesn't have anything reasonably interesting to say at all, and there's been multiple times that a person like that got on I'm not. I'm not mad that he had doctors who challenged the prevailing public health narrative, per se. Even though I don't agree, I don't think that is in any way uh, something that should be um, censured or whatnot. But you know, if we're going to say where, like, if you don't, I'm not saying he doesn't want some of these problems. But if you curated away, again, we're talking about a slight degree here, curated away from some of the overreach, I think that has happened. A lot of these criticisms would actually go away from the wider world because it is true that he shares a vast array of things but that have not nothing connected to do with to, to the crux and the true fuel of the cancel movement, which is because of the awful race. Right. But, but, but everyone wants to make this strictly about a cancel movement. And I guess what I'm asking more broadly is, do you think that 100 percent this is nothing more than that? I am perfectly willing to believe. It's majority even driven. There is an absolute yeah. hatchet job element to this, Absolutely. no doubt about it. To, but are we going to really? Opposes... Are we going to really say that that's well, the look, only criticism? There's no criticism. No, you can no. Make the, of the fear show? is the fear is shutting down. Uh, of course, other vo- of course. You know, dude, voices no one, that go like, against the not only the mainstream but the 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 corporate overlords of uh, of. Dude, uh, no, no, no doubt about it. Like they, they, that would be horrible for them to get their way. Really, really bad. I'm not in any way whatsoever and you're advocating like, that. So he had Shaban six times instead of five. Like nobody really cares. <laughs> like okay, it's fine. Like you might think UFO reptilian no, talks about ridiculous, that. Dude, but dude, like, there's room me, for it on podcast and radio. It is you know? easy. It is easy to do a boring show. It is hard to do a popular show. And there are going to be times over the course of the life of a show where you can make choices, dude. It's you could have Colby on in MMA all the time. You could have the most outrageous people on all the time, and it will work for you as a as a means of getting attention. That's sort of a, a very direct way of putting it. But I mean to say, there is an argument not so much for the worldview to be challenged by Joe because it's his podcast. But if you do care about quality information, if you do care about quality speakers who have real credentials and real backgrounds, yes, who, deciding who is right and wrong. It actually be kind of complex. That's why you want to have debates. But when you go back to guys that have demonstrable problems as merchants of the truth, 
that's an issue for me. I think that yeah. should be kind of curtailed a little bit. Now, to your point, like, is it really that say, hard one, to say your co-host's name on the air? Like, is it really that hard? It was. Sure? It was. I admit something that you won't let go of. But to your other point, I, I am in complete agreement with you. Like, you know, these these like stars coming out and being like, well, now that I've I've learned more, I feel. I, I want to distance myself from Joe. Like these are people that had perfectly enlightened racial views from day one. Yeah. All of them, it turns out afterwards have said shit just as bad, if not matter of factly worse. You know, I found that moral preening to be Look, kind I could of gross. Keep debating you, but I do have to pee my pants. It is. It's All a right. reality of where we're at. I'm just pointing out. I'm just pointing out. I think a lot of this is really wrong and I'm kind of worried about where it's headed. But the idea that there's no criticism to make to me seems a little foolish. Okay. We're out of here for that. BC has to urinate because he has the bladder the size of a th three-year-old girl. Thumbs up on the video if you're watching on YouTube. Hit subscribe if you're so inclined. Wherever you're listening to on your podcast platform, whether it's Stitcher or Spotify, whatever, leave us a nice review. We'd appreciate it. You can see there below all of our socials if you're watching on the YouTube feed. Morningcombat.store is the place to get all of the merch if you're so inclined. Showtime.com if you want to. 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. Wednesday. Morningcombat at gmail.com uh, for fan subs and then for dead wrong morningcombat at gmail.com on, I guess, on Friday's show as well. Uh, that's it for today's show, I believe. I'm not sure what I'm forgetting. Athletic Greens is a thing you should have. They're great. You can go to, I think, athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat. We've got a whole deal we have associated with that. There you have it. Yeah, there it is. Free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D with and five travel packs with your first purchase. I mean, hard to go wrong. All right? Until next time. May all of your gains be loyal.